0: For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.
1: Top of the morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy and for Neil. Neil returning on Monday morning. It's still dragging on. Still no date for junior cert results, says the uh, Echo Today. Cork students anxious at delayed exam results. Cork secondary school principals have called for clarity for their junior cycle students who have yet to get a confirmed date for the publication of their examination results. This year's Leaving Cert results were published later than normal on September 2nd and the State Examinations Commission intends to issue the appeal uh, results through the self-service portal tomorrow but still there's no definite date for the publication of the junior cycle results. Tony McSweeney the principal of St Peter's Community School in Passage West said his students have expressed concerns about the delay. There is very much a concern from our students he said uh, there is that little bit of anxiety now uh, that it's dragging on. There have been a few indications of dates but to be fair to the SEC there was nothing concrete. So still no results date for junior certs. Staying in Cork and with the Examiner, a Cork nursing home is to shut after 34 years. A Cork nursing home has announced it will be permanently closing its doors after 34 years in business. In a statement, Straw Hole Nursing Home said the uh, decision to close was a difficult one, not taken lightly. We are proud of the homely environment we created over the years and the high quality of care We delivered, however, the viability of our small family-run nursing home is now facing a number of significant challenges, which unfortunately it cannot overcome. Straw Hall has a maximum occupancy of 30 residents, During this difficult transition, we will work with residents, staff and families, read the statement, and a representative for the nursing home declined to comment on when exactly the home is set to close, uh, but could be in the very near future. Check it out in the examiner today. Back across to the echo, and you'll have heard in our news bulletin that modular homes uh, are set for Ukrainians in Mahan. Eleanor Regan reporting in the echo that 64 modular homes are to be built in Mahan to house Ukrainian families as part of the country's national response to house people fleeing the war in Ukraine. The OPW and Department of Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth are rolling out a national modular housing programme starting this month, which will house 2,000 Ukrainians in modular homes at a number of sites around the country. Mahan is uh, one of the first three sites announced as part of the programme and uh, the largest as well at 64 units. Other sites are in Cavan Town, 30 units, Thurless, Canty Tip, 60 units. And it's understood that the Mahon site is in the Ballinour area and will house about 250 people. The department has said that the modular homes are small dwellings, mostly built off-site and then delivered and finished on site. I was in a modular home uh, manufacturing facility, actually. Went up to have a look at the the layout and the value and all that kind of thing. Uh, About 80 grand. Now, this was well over a year ago. Uh, Just under the 80 grand mark and you're getting an A-rated, two-bedroom, kitchen fitted and uh, it does seem to be a a solution. Uh, You don't really need planning for them either uh, unless you're very uh, finicky neighbours because they can be moved. Uh, So maybe an option for someone. uh, If you uh, can't afford to get on the property ladder, maybe a modular home in mum or dad's garden. You never know. Meningitis warning has followed three deaths. Neil Griffin reporting in the examiner that the deaths of three people... In a matter of days, from uh, meningococcal men- men- meningitis, uh, septicemia has prompted the HSE to warn the public to be alert of the symptoms of a disease that usually causes less than 10 deaths annually. But different regions have reported four cases now, three young adults and a child under the age of 10, uh, though no links have been found between them. So meningitis back on the radar. Uh, the coverage is quite extensive of the funeral horror yesterday. Uh, and stabbed to death at funeral, uh, horror in graveyard, says The Sun today. Uh, Anne Mooney reporting that this is the, quote, gentle giant, unquote, who was stabbed to death in front of stunned mourners at a traveler's funeral yesterday. Tom Dooley in his 40s died following the attack by a group of men at the New Wrath Cemetery in Tralee in County Kerry. His uh, wife, Siobhan, also uh, was uh, last night said to be in a critical condition. Man stabbed to death, wife last night fighting for her life after being attacked at a traveller's funeral. That makes uh, most of the morning papers today, by the way. Uh, Pitt hit his children and poured beer over Jolie. This, uh, these are the actress's claims of abuse. In legal files, Angelina Jolie claims her ex-husband Brad Pitt choked one of their children and struck another in the face, legal documents show. Lawyers for the actress detail a string of alleged physical and emotional abuse against her and their kids on a private flight. As a result, the Lara Croft star filed for divorce, the papers say. Documents filed yesterday in Los Angeles claim Pitt uh, verbally attacked Jolie and lunged at one of his son's on the flight to France in september twenty sixteen the papers allege Pitt was physically and emotionally abusive to Jolie and their children, who were then between the ages of eight and fifteen after that flight for her family's well-being, Jolie decided to fight uh, to file for divorce. Uh, they claim Pitt's aggressive behavior began before boarding the plane, and uh, the document reads when one of the children verbally defended Jolie, Pitt lunged at his own child, and Jolie grabbed him from behind. To stop him. To get Jolie off his back, Pitt threw himself backwards onto the airplane seats, injuring Jolie's back and elbow. The children rushed in and all bravely tried to protect each other. Before it was over, Pitt choked one of the children and struck another in the face, it's alleged. Some of the children pleaded with Pitt to stop. They were all frightened, many were crying, and the documents claim Pitt periodically emerged from the back of the plane to yell and swear. At one point he poured beer on Jolie, at another he poured beer and red wine on the children, they allege. And after landing, the actor continued to be abusive, the documents claim. Uh, That's going to be followed with some interest as the two superstars go up against each other there. Irish dancing hit by results-fixing claims. Teachers allegedly offered inducements to judges via text messages. The world of Irish dancing has been rocked by an official investigation into alleged results fixing. Serious claims have emerged of dance teachers offering inducements to judges, with 12 teachers so far being allegedly implicated through their text messages before competitions. Uh, the Comhairle Larrínquí Gaelica, CLRG, the oldest and largest governing body for Irish dancing, has confirmed it is investigating allegations of individuals allegedly offering Various inducements uh, to promote dancers to a higher-than-deserved placing at particular competitions. Doesn't everybody get a medal at the Fashion at the Rinky? Uh, it's been reported that some of the most successful and well-regarded Irish dance teachers in schools will be the uh, subject of the investigation. Knife Horror as well makes the Mail Today front page. Uh, pictured there uh, the uh, man killed and his wife badly injured. There's a picture of them together, the late Thomas Dooley and his wife Siobhan. Let's go to the Irish Daily Mirror now. And handouts will fuel inflation is one of their inside page headlines. Economists have warned that the government cost of living cash handouts could fuel inflation as pledges to help squeezed energy customers were dismissed in the Doyle as just spin. Uh, prisoners grub were three times the army's. Here's an interesting story from the star today. Troops are fed for four twenty a day, four euros twenty a day. Jailbirds get 15 euro per day uh, in their food allowance. Chefs in the defence forces received, uh sorry, it's the working pay is it just 420 to provide three meals a day for soldiers and sailors, less than a third of the allocation for prisoners in our jails. Three meals a day for 420. The issue was raised by members of the PD4 the Permanent Defence Force Other Ranks Representative Association at its annual conference yesterday. This was dominated by the financial constraints in which the defence forces continue to operate. The conference was in Bally Buffet in County Donegal and it heard how military chefs must provide meals on a daily allowance three times less than the prison service where chefs have an average allowance of 15 euros per day per prisoner. uh, Union President Mark Keane told delegates it could not be allowed to go on. That makes some very interesting reading there. Let's uh, look at the UK Times. M people are livid about the use of their song at conference. Uh, This is a very intriguing story. When President Reagan used Bruce Springsteen, born born in the USA, in his 1984 re-election campaign, he ignored its social criticism of modern America, for its um, kind of ostensibly jingoistic title and chorus. Liz Truss seems to have made the same mistake. She bounced onto the stage in Birmingham to M. Peoples' Moving On Up. Her handlers must have only listened to the hook of the song, which is the popular piece, the chorus, if you like. Moving on up, we're moving on up. Uh, but if you take a look at the uh, the words of the song, uh, the, they also include, you've done me wrong. Your time is up. So it's not uh, wasn't the most perfect uh, of choices. Let's have a listen to a, a little piece of Moving On Up from M. People.
0: You've done me wrong, your time is up. You took a sip from the devil's cup. You broke my heart, there's no way back your just you
2: some kind of star
1: and so it goes to the chorus but you've done me wrong you've drunk from the devil's cup your time is up pack your bags and off you go Pretty bad choice of song when you when you uh, consider the internal lyrics, though. But uh, Heather Small's lyrics were unfortunate for Liz Truss, and uh, she's also taking a blasting from Heather Small, uh, who didn't like uh, the fact that this was used. Um, and that there's been other embarrassing times around music. I remember the guy who played? Um, oh, was a little bit of Monica in my life when Bill Clinton was walking on stage up in Northern Ireland. He uh, couldn't write it. Yeah, that's uh Mambo number five, Lou Vega. I was trying to think of it. Well done. Thank you for pulling that in my ear. Uh of uh we'll finish with the morning papers now, widower of woman killed by Baldwin settles lawsuit uh to become a producer on the same film. I was reading this on social media last night. Uh, after all the furore, the husband uh, of the cinematographer shot and killed by Alec Baldwin on a film set will become an executive producer of the movie as part of a settlement deal. Uh, Halania Hutchins, who was 42, was killed when the supposed prop gun Baldwin, uh, Baldwin was holding, fired a real bullet. Uh, so there's been a settlement, and uh, they're going to all go back together. Uh, her husband, her widower, is going to be uh, an executive producer of the film. And, you know, I think in a kind of a big, big-hearted way, uh, the uh, family... Uh, of uh, Helena Hutchins realise it was a dreadful and tragic accident and they're all going to come back together uh, they're all going to use the same set they're all coming back together I believe in January and they're all going to complete this work in her memory and as uh, as a mark of respect to her life uh, her life achievement It's 22 minutes past nine and I want to go straight to her phone lines to uh, Barry Roach Southern correspondent with the Irish Times Hi Barry
3: Good morning Mick, how are you doing? Very
1: good, a lot can happen in 24 hours this time yesterday, uh, people were just travelling to a funeral, can you bring us up to speed on the tragic developments in Kerry?
3: Yes Mick, tragic and horrific and shocking uh, there's a woman, a uh, 40 year old mother of 5 called Bridget O'Brien uh, She, her funeral she died on Sunday and her funeral was taking place yesterday at St John's Church in Tralee uh, one of the main churches in the in the town and her funeral, her burial then, sorry, was afterwards, it was 10 o'clock mass, and her burial was at New Rath Cemetery in Rath Hass. People from Cork might know it. It's on the road into Tralee, coming in from Killarney, coming in from Castle Island there. It's on the right-hand side, across the road, Natural fact, from University Hospital Kerry. But uh, at about quarter to twelve, a group of men arrived there, and they began attacking one of the mourners, a man called Thomas Dooley, who's a uh, 43-year-old father of several children, I'm not sure the exact number, but he he's a large family, and these men began attacking him. Uh, they were armed with flash hooks and machetes, and he suffered catastrophic, serious injuries. His wife, Siobhan, was with him. He was outnumbered by about five or six to one, apparently, and his wife, Siobhan, tried to protect him, and she could suffered some serious injuries in the attack as well. Obviously, people were shocked at the, at the, the, well, shocked at the incident, but shocked that it was happening at a, at a funeral. He paramedics were called i my understanding is they treated him initially at this scene and he was rushed across the road to the hospital which is only about 500 meters away i mean it's really just straight across the road from the cemetery more or less and uh, he was pronounced dead shortly after arrival there his wife is still there she's been treated for serious injuries but they're not life-threatening we understand um began an investigation they arrived out at the scene and um it's been cordoned off, and they began uh, examining CCTV footage because there are cameras. It's a very big graveyard. Now I've attended one or two funerals there myself over the years. People I know from Kerry, and it's a huge graveyard. i mean, could be I imagine, probably maybe not quite as big as St. Finbarr's here, but mm-hmm. certainly bigger than your usual sort of parish graveyard in you know country. And would CCTV
1: be standard now in graveyards? I know we were suggesting it a couple of years back when there was some graveyard desecration happening.
3: I'm not aware that it is, but I, I've been told there, there are CCTV cameras down there, and it is like there are several uh, wings to it, as it were, so it's, it's quite, from my recollection, that there, there's sort of a newer section and the older section, but it is a very big graveyard. So Guardias as I understand it, were harvesting CCTV from that. They obviously were trying to find out who was at the funeral, with a view to taking witness statements at, in, in the coming days. They set up an incident room in... Uh, uh, Tralee Garda station they requested services that pathologists and pathologist Dr Sally Ann Collis is on her way to Tralee this morning to carry out the post-mortem in Port Thomas Dooley uh, and a number of lines of inquiry as I understand it were um, being pursued the men um, fled the scene in two vehicles we understand Guardy, as I said cordoned off there and they recovered some slash hooks and machetes and so forth there uh, I mean, it seemed completely, from what I can gather, a, a very unbalanced, unfair fight. If it was that in the sense that this man was on his own. Or mm.
1: And certainly fight. seems to have premeditated.
3: And premeditated, yeah. I was talking to one guard last night who said, you have. He, this, she, they were saying to me that they were satisfied that the group who taxed the victim weren't attending the funeral. So it wasn't as if it suddenly, they were there and it suddenly kicked off. It seems very much regarding that they arrived specifically and specifically with the intention of... Uh, carrying out this attack, uh, which they said was very targeted, so uh, the investigation, as I say, began yesterday, after, immediately afterwards. Late last night, early this morning, in fact, about half one, Garda arrested a man from Clareni, 35-year-old man from Clararney, at Cork University Hospital. Now we're not sure what. He was doing at the hospital, I presume he was getting treated for something, but whether he's in accident emergency or emergency department or where, I'm, I'm not aware uh-huh. of the specifics of that, but he was taken to Lee Garda Station where there's an incident room set up to investigate the killing, and he's been detained there under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act, which allows Garda to detain suspects for up to 24 hours before they have to be either released or charged. So that's the first arrest in the investigation. Um, Mr. Dooley's body was transferred to the morgue then in Kerry University House, or University Hospital of Kerry, and as I said, post-mortem will be carried out today. I expect that following the completion of that, probably sometime this afternoon, Kerry will formally launch a murder investigation or declare it a murder investigation, even though Today, obviously, they've taken all the steps that you would take in a murder investigation in terms of securing the scene, uh, forensics, CCTV, incident room, the sort of usual stuff. They've appealed for information to Gardie, or sorry, to the public, my apologies. Anyone who may have witnessed the attack or can assist Garda with the inquiries, they've asked them to contact Trilly Garda station, and that number is 66 710 00 or any Garda station so that's where it's at so far but I'd expect it's an investigation that will move fairly rapidly because obviously uh, my understanding is there was a sizable attendance at the burial so they would have a lot of witness statements to take and um I would expect that they would get some identifications from that or people would have been able to give descriptions at any rate of uh, the people who carried out this uh I mean, it's a really shocking, shocking uh, thing to happen at any time. but To happen at a, at a graveyard, at a funeral or something else, it seems, mm. you know, beyond the... Um, yeah, beyond just, the paper, just
1: looking, looking up uh, details there, there are CCTV cameras uh, fitted in that graveyard in particular. Um, and, of course, how sad that uh, someone's fighting for their life in the very same hospital uh, in, in which their husband is lying on a slab. Uh, of course, uh, they're both in the same hospital. And that uh, post-mortem will take place, we believe, today. Uh, and I know it's hard to speculate, Barry, but do you think uh, she was the unfortunate victim of just trying to defend
3: her husband? Oh, I, think, I think so. I think the, the woman obviously le- leaped to his defence and tried to protect him, as I presume most family members would. But there was such an unbalanced and uh, unfair fight, basically, if it, if it even was a fight, in the sense that I'm not sure how much opportunity... Uh, Thomas Dooley had to defend himself, and the fact that the other faction or whatever group, as it were, came equipped with these implements obviously gave them a huge advantage. It's, I mean, yeah. shocking things, really shocking.
1: Okay. All right, Barry, it's a sad one, it's a tragic one, it's a horrific one, but we will follow it with interest. Thank you very much. Barry Roach, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times. Good morning. All the
4: best. The Neil Brendeville show Cork's number 1 talk show Pure Cork. on Red FM.
1: It's coming up at 9:30. Let me give you details of our Dentry Furniture Centre competition. 200 Euro voucher again to give away today to spend with Glentree Furniture in Dunmanway. Now you can spend this any way you want. You can physically go down there and uh, have a look and touch and feel all of the great uh, Furniture, that's there. You can go online and browse there as well. Now, tomorrow, we're getting very close to the end of the week. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to have a Friends head-to-head competition where the prize is a Lazy Boy spectator chair. It's worth €1,958, almost 2000 Now, Glentry are a family-run business in Dunmanway where customer service is paramount as part of their business model and they aim to deliver what they call a white glove service, meaning they deliver and they assemble their furniture. And in the unlikely event that there are any issues, uh, they look after those issues and their customers with the utmost care and confidence. So every day this week, we've got a famous person hiding behind the sofa and uh, there are some distracting noises now, people moving around the sofa. Uh, you must correctly identify, uh, identify who it is. Yesterday's one was kind of easy. So let's see who's behind the sofa today. But don't call now, don't text. We'll open the lines closer to 12 midday. Who's behind the Glentree Furniture Centre Sofa?
5: People regularly come up to me, and I love this, with a, an old copy of one of the Sinted Jesus cookbooks and sometimes spattered with gravy over with the, uh, the, the, the cover half hanging off and saying, look, I've had this for years, I love it.
1: Oh, that's well muffled and that's a difficult one, but we'll play it a few more times between now and 12 midday. Uh, €200 euro voucher uh, up for grabs today uh, and an entry into our... Uh, Our final tomorrow for that brilliant €1,958 spectator chair, the Lazy Boy Spectator chair with Glentree Furniture Centre. We'll play that again for you a couple of times before we open the lines closer to 12 midday.
4: Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 104 106 Red
1: FM. 26 minutes to 10. Good morning on line three to Marika. Hi, Marika.
0: Hello, good morning, Mick.
1: How are you? I'm good. Now, you uh, caught the end of our conversation yesterday. Uh, I think it was with Michael, uh, and he, he is under serious pressure uh, traveling uh, between Canturk and Carrigaline and Mallow and all that kind of thing uh, to keep his children who have special needs uh, engaged in the education system. Part of that uh, was that he said that he could see. Uh, buses being laid on for Ukrainian children who seem to have it a lot easier uh, and I know you didn't hear all of the uh, all of the interview but you wanted to come on and just give your situation if you like and give your opinion
0: um, yes I did Mick I, I I heard I actually tuned in a little bit late I'm off work all week th- this week and um, I actually meant to tune in as usual at 9 o'clock and I didn't and so I caught the tail end of the conversation and I do have a lot of sympathy for Michael and everybody else that finds themselves in a really bad situation i can understand as well i have to say i can understand people being angry about this um but i also have to say from a ukrainian perspective and well half ukrainian perspective i just feel that there might be a little bit of a backlash going on towards um ukrainian refugees at, at the moment I can understand Michael's situation. I can understand how hard it is for him and it shouldn't be happening. I'm just a little bit concerned that people will point the finger at Ukrainians, especially the children in school that they might be picked on. And, um, you know, I'm just a little bit concerned about that because I have to say the problem with schools and health and transport and housing all these problems were all ready there before any ukrainians set foot in ireland or in any other country and this is the problem now I, I i would also like to state that i do think the irish government has acted with the best of intentions as all the governments of, of host countries have done where ukrainian people are concerned They've opened the doors to them at a great time of need. Um, So I I don't want to be too critical of the government at the moment. Uh I really don't. But um, as I said in my email, I think it's just laid bare the whole crisis that was there anyway. It it was already there and it's got absolutely nothing to do with Ukrainian people. They haven't asked for any of this. They haven't asked to have to flee their own country. They haven't asked to go to other countries. They don't want the best of everything. They don't want the housing that Irish people haven't got. They don't want the school transport that Irish people haven't got. So uh, that was my main concern. I I can see it from both points of view. I can see it from the Irish people's point of view. Obviously, I can see it from the Ukrainian people's point of view as well.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's very, very hard, Marika, to... Put your finger on exactly the, the right nuance here. Because, like for instance, Michael has two children here that have severe special needs um, and can't get access to transport. Obviously, uh, if he sees Ukrainians getting uh, the transport that he has failed, uh, despite his best efforts to secure for his children and his family's at wit's end, uh, he's, he's going to feel a little aggrieved. Uh, I also take your point that these failings in the Irish system, uh, which were compounded by the fact that free transport was announced recently, uh, without probably any regard for the capacity, we're also losing the uh, taxi and the private uh, transport providers because of uh, outdated contracts and increases in fuel prices. Let me just uh, play a small clip of Michael uh, from the programme yesterday, if you'll just bear with me for a second.
6: But I had to come along and
7: I had to give an email note to the school transport man to tell him that where our lives are at the moment, where we are looking at our little six-year-old boy or seven-year-old boy with so many scratches and biting on him. And a lot of that is down to sheer frustration of my daughter, Sophia, not getting a place every day in school because of the situation we find ourselves in. We're okay. to October. People from all over the country can get buses. My daughter can't.
1: So it's not just that he's at his wits' end energy-wise uh, because he's driving four and a half hours a day. It's it's that the upset and the lack of consistency in his daughter's life is causing her to physically harm her younger brother but with biting. So you can see how frustrated he's going to be. I do take your point. Uh, the Ukrainians, it's, it's not their fault. The service is being provided by a gentle host country uh, whose citizens have been welcomed all over the world in difficult times. But, you know, when we have such... A strain on our health system, our transport system, our energy system. Irish people are getting frustrated.
0: And I can understand that, Mick. Look, you see, I'm because, of, because I'm half Irish as well, <laughs> I can see it from both points of view. You know, I've got a loyalty, obviously, to Ukraine, and I've always had a loyalty to Ireland, and I always will do. And these, these problems, unfortunately for Ireland, it's a wealthy country. A very very wealthy country but something has gone wrong in the management of Ireland uh, as I say I don't want to be too too critical of the government because they have done with the best of intentions and and with the best will in the world they have opened their arms to Ukrainians they've been extremely well welcoming they they've helped them no end Now, on the other hand, I also feel a great deal of anger as well, not about Ukrainians, but about the way that the government has treated its own people. You see, I think they've underestimated, I put this in one of my emails, I I actually think they've really underestimated how, how, how difficult life can be for the average Irish person. In Ireland, you really do have to have... Quite a sizeable income to be able to live comfortably. I know that a couple of years ago, my partner and I were thinking about about going going to Ireland to live. This was just before Brexit. When Brexit occurred. And the house prices in Ireland shot up because, obviously, there was an opportunity there. Um, We discussed it and we said there's just no way we can go to Ireland. There's just no way that we can afford to live. Now, he's on a really, really good pension. He worked in the NHS for 40 years. He's on an excellent pension Ah. over here in England. And I'm still working. But, I mean, if we'd moved to Ireland, the benefits that we've got here would go... Over here, we don't pay to see a GP. If we need to go to a and D, it's free at the point of need. These are the things that don't occur in Ireland. So, and yet Ireland is a wealthy country. I don't understand how it cannot have sat down before now, before any of this Ukrainian situation started and said to itself, you know, we need to be doing something more for our people. But because, you know, people are paying extortionate rents. You know this, Mick, you live in Ireland. People who, who are deemed unsuitable for a mortgage are paying anything up to €2,000 and beyond a month rent. Just think what that could have achieved if they'd been helped with a mortgage. This is where the housing crisis comes in as well. But then, then, but then
1: Marika, can, can, can you blame Irish citizens, hard-pressed and maybe trying to get on the property ladder, for feeling some sort of resentment when in the Red FM News and in the newspaper review of just done a half an hour ago... Um, there's going to be modular homes for 250 Ukrainians built in man people are waiting years here in the housing list
0: I know, you see again I do understand I, I, I fully get your points on that Nick and I do get the points of people that ring in The only, the only thing I would say is Please, please don't point the finger at the, at the Ukrainian refugees because they've gone through so much, because they they are not asking for this. They are not asking to, to, to be housed, and Irish people not to be housed. They're in an awful situation because they have got nowhere to go at the moment mm. until the war is over and they can return home. And you know, to be honest with you, the majority of them will go back. It's a temporary situation for them. I, I understand when, when homes are being built, all of a sudden the money can be found, the space can be found, the materials can be found to build homes very, very quickly to house people who aren't Irish. I, I can understand the Irish people being angry about that as well. All I would say is, that please direct the annoyance and the, the anger towards the government uh, they'll be able to do something like this very, very quickly to help people and yet it can't help its own. I myself can't get the point of it either, Nick. Mm. I really can't. Not not when there's been a housing crisis in Ireland for a long, long time.
1: You're speaking very time. clearly on, on the topic. You do have the luxury of clarity from seeing it from uh, across the water. You do have the clarity of being half Irish and half Ukrainian. Uh, and I do believe that, yes, we should not in any way take it out on the Ukrainians, who are not here for a jolly up. They're here and they will accept the services that are given to them. Uh, We have a government that kind of has a moral obligation to provide that. But they're still, uh, and I know this should be directed at government officials and at the powers that be, They, they still have a moral obligation. Now, they're doing it for so many people, so many people in social housing, Um, obviously they can't do it for everybody but we have a growing homelessness problem we have a growing um, housing list a waiting list uh, and sometimes this is kind of a red rag to a bull uh, when you hear something when these people looking for housing or trying, working hard and trying to get on the property ladder paying their taxes um, see housing going up if the Ukrainians do go back home uh, this will be available housing I imagine that will help Uh, To combat the homeless situation uh, and maybe become available as social housing or social and affordable housing.
0: Well, that could have been done before. That could have been done before, even if there'd been no war in Ukraine. Mate, there'd been no war at all. Ukrainians had stayed where they were, or uh, you you know, I—that's the bit I don't get about about the government in Ireland. Why all of a sudden they can suddenly find the means? to do what they're doing to help Ukrainian refugees. And they are helping them. And for that, I will be forever grateful to any country that's take, taken them in and helped them. I will be forever grateful. But I do wonder why this couldn't have been done before for Irish people. I think every, every country in the world has a reserve of money to help with what they, they would probably call an international crisis and um, so they're probably using some of that in this situation but it still begs the question why on earth are people in ireland at such a disadvantage in such a wealthy country as Ireland. It is a wealthy country. I'm still working. I've had to increase my hours over here. I didn't want to have to do it, but I've had to do it because I just couldn't exist comfortably on water was burning. Um, it's just fortunate for me that I do enjoy my job. If I didn't enjoy my job, it would be hell. Now, that's over here in England. But to live in Ireland, there's just no way we talked about it constantly. I, I, I would give anything to be able to go to Ireland to live mm. out the last years of my life. I'm 62 now. I,
1: I think so you've detailed think, the situation with great clarity, Marika. Um, you know, you've left the questions hanging there that need to be answered. You've asked mm. people to have compassion and direct if they have anger, directed at the right place, not the wrong place, not the people whose fault well, it isn't.
0: When I say direct anger towards the government, I don't mean going, you know, up to storm the doors or anything like that. <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't mean a revolution fight of anger. But I'm just saying but but you see the thing with the Ukrainians is at the moment they've literally nowhere to go. It's either stay in Ukraine and risk and I will say this and because we all know what's happening over there and risk either being raped, tortured, murdered, or get out and try and survive. And hope that things will will turn turn out for the best, as I think they they will now, because there has been a turning point.
1: Mar- Marika, as as half Ukrainian, are are you proud of your people and what they're doing uh, on home soil to push back the Russian invasion?
0: I really am. They're doing that. They are great fighters. You you now that's the one thing that Ukrainians have over the Russians, because the Russians, as big as they are future country they are they've actually never been known as proper fighters because they cannot. they're disorganized and chaotic ukrainian people are quite methodical and they can fight and obviously with the help of, of weapons that other countries have sent they've had to, had to have those weapons in order to be able to to survive to be honest with you, Nick, but they are great fighters. However, other, other countries have helped as well. Other, other people from other countries have gone over. <clears throat> there was a young lad from County Meath. he um, he's lost his life. That's right,
1: 23, 23 years, years of age. Marika, yeah. I, I must move on. We have calls yeah. waiting, but thank you very much for bringing a, you know, your own clarity to the situation and mm-hmm. for leaving the correct questions hanging there uh, and also having the compassion to direct uh, frustration if, if it's if, if, the, if that exists uh, in, in the Irish people not at the Ukrainians but uh, to your local representatives in a nice calm and democratic way thank you very much Marika
0: you're welcome Mick and thanks so much for taking my call thank thanks you very
1: much. Okay. Tom thank you've you. been waiting for a while uh, and you, you, you also want to comment on that Michael interview yesterday where early intervention you would agree is the key
7: Yeah, Mick, can I just say something there uh, that Lady Marika was on about, like, uh, about the whole Ukrainian thing? Like, I'm listening there for the last few minutes and I couldn't not say something. Uh Like, she's gone on there about us, about the war. Like, do you know the size of Ukraine? The war is going on in one little part of us. You can go online today and you can book a hotel. We're paying for people to stay in hotels here. What it's costing our government to pay a night here, you get a hotel for a week in Kiev. Ring up, ask your researchers, ring up any of the hotels and every one of them will tell you what safe as houses over there. Like she's gone on there about the war in Ukraine. It's happening in one little region. You know, the rest of the country is safe. It'd be like the troubles up the north, and and the people coming down to Ireland. Like they're not fleeing over to England. Maybe, it's obviously, someday they're not going into Europe, does not. Tens of thousands of them. Like I'm sitting there listening to that, there and I'm like, "What?" Well, to be fair, she, able- did, she
1: didn't come on to talk about the war, make any point in that regard. I did ask, yeah, I know, ask but her a question about it. End. Was,
7: it was just about, but it was all about the Ukraine, Mick. Like, it was all like that's what she was talking about. Like about the whole. Like there's a ho- there's, there's hundred thousand idle houses in this country for years. It's government mismanagement that has us where we are right now. It isn't anything to do with refugees. It's government mismanagement, and it's been going on for years. You know, like, I I was sent in a message yesterday about my own son and about the early intervention and stuff like that. I had to fight for all these things 10 years ago. And, like, it was heartbreaking to listen to that man yesterday on the radio. And he has two kids and now he's traveling four and a half hours a day to get them to school. You know, like, I was lucky because I was living in the city and there were services around me. But, like, I still had to fight for law services every day. There was, like, there was months went by there that I would drop my son. He was in the as a charity with the early intervention. He it was picked up by, by a physiotherapist before he was two years of age. She sent him for speech and language, and <clears throat> she said that there might be something else. Like, we wouldn't have had a clue about any of these things, autism or ADHD or any of that at the time, you know? Um and he went out to the Brothers of Charity. But even when he was out there, I remember ringing the like Samarian house and places around the city. Like, he was out there three days a week. And I'd literally drop him there and get back into my car and ring these places. And I was ringing him three mornings a week. And then, like, I knew that the girl was up there on a 1st name basis. Mm-hmm. But I just, like, if I didn't keep ringing and keep hounding them out, he would have been left. He would have been left there. And that's what people have to do. And it's a fright to God. Like, the last appointment my son had, um, for physiotherapy and we went up there. He had a half an hour appointment and they said to me above there, um, they, they were doing me up a file to do work with him at home, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the appointments were every, every 18 to 24 months. So they said to me, um, we'll give you a ring there in a couple of weeks and would you mind coming up and collecting the file because we don't have money for postage and packaging. Wow, okay. Uh- and I was only down the bottom of the road from this place. There was people coming from as far as Skibbereen, to have their kids seen for half an hour up there that obviously had to go back again in a couple of weeks' time to collect a file to then do the stuff at home with their child themselves, you know?
1: Tom, Dylan is 13 now. Uh, Where would he be in the system today, do you think, if you hadn't made those early, very, very strong efforts?
7: Oh, Mick, I'd... I'd, Honestly, I dread to think where he would be. Like, 10 years ago, when Dylan was out in the borough's Charity, he was there for three years. Like, I never envisaged... The, the young men that he would be today, you know? Mm. Like, it's like it's kind of even emotions to talk about it. Like, you know, um, like, I, like he, he's in secondary school now, right? Tom, um,
1: can, can I interrupt you for a second? W- mm-hmm. would, you, would, would you mind holding till after the 10 o'clock news? Because I'd like to tap into that emotion. I'm also, mm. and I, I know I spoke to Marika previously. She's a fervent listener to the programme from the UK. Uh, I, I also get the impression that it's so much easier across the water Uh, to be accepted into the NHS system whereas you've got to fight for it here Could we speak about that after 10 Tom? Yeah. Okay, thank you.
4: Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red
1: FM. Quick second mention for our competition. In about two hours' time, we'll open the lines for Tree Furniture Centre. 200 euro voucher to spend with them. You can spend it in-store or online. Uh, Every day, famous person hiding behind the Tree Furniture Centre sofa. It's a difficult one today, so I wanted to give you a chance to hear it again. But don't call or text now. We'll open the lines uh, in around two hours' time
5: people regularly come up to me and I love this with a an old copy of one of the Dishes cookbooks and sometimes spattered with gravy or with the, uh, the, the the cover half hanging off and say look I've had this for years I love it
1: okay that's a difficult one but we will come back and give you a couple more chances to hear it and maybe decipher who it is uh, by email to neil at redfm.ie hi mate, great listening to you hope you're keeping well Elvis in the tomato ketchup yesterday did I say tomato shouldn't it be tomato Uh, I say tomato, you say tomato. But anyway, it's a classic case of pareidolia where the human brain fills in gaps and processes the light received in the back of the eye, where it makes one feel like they're seeing a face. Uh, There was a Padre Pio as well in a banister that I couldn't see. Um, It's a survival mechanism uh, conserved in our genes since very early man. There was a famous case of a half-eaten toasty with the image of the Virgin Mary on the burnt surface. The owner stroke eater kept the toasty for a few years, keeping it uh, by the bedside. God knows how it was preserved and didn't get covered in mould, but eventually she put it on eBay. Uh, and I understand Amazon purchased the Holy Toasty for over $28,000. Have you seen anything in your food that would resemble a celebrity? Give us a call. 0818 104
0: 106. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie.
4: Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville show now 086 8104 106 Red FM.
1: And just before I continue my conversation uh, with Tom, I had a message yesterday from a uh, dear friend of mine, Tom Kelly in Cove. Hi Mick, any chance you could play a request for my daughter Rachel tomorrow morning today uh, as she was 40 today yesterday. Okay, so one day late, happy birthday Rachel. Kelly. Uh, you may not know her as Rachel Kelly. If you don't, you might know her as Ro- Rachel McCarthy. Uh, obviously married, but uh, she's 40, the big four zero, and absolutely hates it. Okay? So everyone who knows Rachel Kelly or Rachel McCarthy, uh, to go by her married name, uh, send her an old slagging text message there. 40, finally. Asha, 40 is the new 30, uh, Rachel. Anyway, happy birthday to you from all of us here at Red FM. Tom, uh, Tom thanks for holding um, and I want to tap in, if, if, if you don't mind using Dylan maybe as a, as, as a case example, uh, mm. it, into your interactions with the system. We already have established if you didn't interact early, he'd be in a much worse place now. But how hard was it for you?
7: Well, like, make, like we brought him for, for physio and she to speech and language. Like he, he was only just nearly two years of age at that time. But like, if we didn't bring him for that physio, um, like, he wouldn't have been in the system. Like, I remember going to parent information nights when Dylan was four and five years of age, and there was parents there, and they had kids up to 12 years of age, and they were still waiting on a diagnosis and stuff, you know? And it was only then I kind of realized how, how lucky we actually were. You know, we were one of the lucky ones. And, and that's, like, no one should, have to, should be saying that. If, if you If your child needs help, it should be there for you straight away. But it was just these other people, the, the physiotherapist and then the speech and language therapist, that kind of fast the fast tracked things for us because he was he, he was just coming up to his second birthday, you know.
1: And what was he diagnosed with? What what was the condition?
7: With autism. Okay. Yeah. With he was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Um, so, like, Dylan was non until now. He was six years of age. Um, when when he was with the Brothers of Charity, they couldn't keep him there because they said he didn't have a learning disability after assessing him in that when he was kind of five, five and a half, but they wanted me to bring him to a unit and like, no offence to any of the other kids but like 85% of them were, were worse off than Dylan, you know um, and I like I could see there was there was something there. Like he he was he was listening to us. He like obviously he was like there was lots of slapping himself and pinching himself and getting frustrated when he when he wasn't talking. He had no words. Everything was was pointing at things, you know. Um, and and I took a chance. Like we got we got the the home help or the home tuition hours. So we got 20 hours for a week, and I found a girl that was able to actually accompany him to a play school. So I brought him to a play school as opposed to to a unit. And I remember he was there probably three or four months. And I was in to collect him one Friday evening and took him by the hand from the door, and we went out to the car. And when we sat into the car and I got into the front, for the first time ever, he just started, like... Like making all these noises, like just, blah, 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 you know, and I was like, what in the name of God? Is-? And I was looking at him in the mirror and he, he, like you could see he was excited. He was making these noises, you know, so like the whole drive home, it was the two of us in the car. And, and I was obviously doing what he was doing. It was just, blah, 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 just doing the mouth movements because he was doing none of that beforehand, you know, and I'm I'm convinced it was just that he was, like, he was in a normal play school, he was in with normal kids and, like, he wasn't in with other, you know, in an autistic unit he was in with all of these other kids who were talking, who were playing, who were interacting, No, he wasn't interacting with these kids in the play school. But they were lifting
1: his abilities a little, were they?
7: Correct. Obviously, he was looking at them and, and learning from them. So he was looking at all them talking and having fun. And like it took three or four months of him being in there before he actually started doing any of these things. You know, mm-hmm.
1: Tom, Tom the, one, and, the, the one thing that really shines through when, when I speak to people like Michael, speak to people like yourself or other parents, is the unbridled love that you have for the children. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side of that, how difficult is it? to maintain any semblance of normality. Are are you living with a kind of sense of despair in the back of your mind also?
7: Not really, because, like, I'm I'm looking at him now, you know, and and I'm looking how far he's after coming over the last seven or eight years. You know, as I was saying, like, seven, eight years ago, I never thought that he would be where he is now. You know, he got great help in, in the mainstream school, like some wonderful teachers, SNAs, People that actually went above and beyond to help the kids in that school. Not only my son, but any other kids that had, had um, difficulty, a diagnosis, you know, mm-hmm. like that actually went and done courses, you know, that wanted to understand it better. Like I remember having to get the Brothers of Charity to come down to the school because they had never been to see him in the school in first class. To come down to the school and the SNA, like we both pushed for them to come in because she wanted to pick their brains as well about things. And from that meeting, she got to go on more information days and and evenings through the Brothers of Charity. So she got a better understanding of everything. You know, she literally went above and beyond. And like people often say to me, oh, you've done great things for him and look how far he's come on. But Mick, like I'm his father. You know, I, I only do what the other people, the experts told me. You do this and you do that. Okay, I'll do these things. When are you going to see him again? You know, you have to keep putting pressure on them. Because if if you don't, your child will fall through the cracks. That's like I said, like when he was in the Burroughs Charlie and in play school, every day when I put him in there, the first thing I do is come out, start the car up and get on the phone. Ring in the same places again to say, hi, Mary, how, how are you? Um, ringing there about Dylan oh no Thomas there's nothing today no about a girl I'll ring back again tomorrow and, and
1: becoming a little night. more friendly with him as you said first
7: name terms oh, I was, was just having to annoy them basically was, you have to annoy them because there's loads of people ringing these places every day and all of their kids are as important as my son to them you know so if, if if you don't keep on to them well then the other people that are going to be on to them are obviously going to try and get better things for their kids you know mm.
1: Tell like, me about like, Dylan now at, at at thirteen, Tom. Tell tell me about him now. What kind of boy is uh, he? What does he get up to?
7: He's an unbelievable uh child mick. Like um I coach with some clubs in Talker here, right? Some fantastic clubs, right? Um and I remember look when when Dylan was about seven and like those Irish twins, there's Dylan and Marcus as a year between them. And I remember looking at Marcus when he was about six, six in a bit and thinking, like he's missing out. He was missing out on so much because everything was about Dylan. Like, for appointments, for, for school, for, oh, we can't do this because, like, even to go to the shop was hard. You know, like, there was no kind of sports at the time. And I remember sitting one day thinking, like, this young fella, like, something needs to change for Marcus, right? So I started looking into clubs. So I brought him, and I used to say to Dylan every week, we were going to soccer. Are you coming to soccer, man? Are you coming to soccer? No, 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 no. Went down for three or four months. He never wanted to go. We went off soccer. Marcus started going to in the football. And about a year and a half later, one day we were walking up the soccer training and Dylan comes running down the stairs with his shorts and, and a jersey on him. I want to go down and go So I was like, whoa. All right, man, come on. Well, like, must, must since, have been
1: a special day.
7: It was unbelievable. But ever since, like, he loves soccer. Um, he loves basketball. He plays football. Um, he got student of the year last year in sixth class. They have they have an award for 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 two best students in the school, and he got it last year. Um, before he left primary school, uh, for being kind to others, <clears throat> like <clears throat> he was a very emotional child, um, and that's kind of like of all the things that we worked on over the last couple of years. That's kind of the one thing that, like, I'd love to get a bit of help or to find out more or to, you know, like, for years, Dylan would be awake until midnight or after it because when he put his head in the pillow, his head was racing uh-huh. of everything that was going on. and um, He's trying to process it, I suppose. Yeah, everything. Um, but as I said, look, he, he's just to give other people a little bit of hope. Like, Dylan was non-avorable. He was six years of age. We went through all the pecs and stuff like that. He had defenders and him if we went to many places. No, he goes like we we've been down Parky Creev for um the bars semi finals and we'll be down there for the finals. And he goes down there, he meets his friends there. Yeah, they get a little more into it than him, but I think he's just delighted to be there. Yeah. You know, his friends are there, his dad is there, he has great crack there. You know, like like as I said, Mick, I, I couldn't I could not have imagined even five years ago, that he would be where he is today. Now, there are still other things that need to be worked on for him, but like to see him going off into secondary school to um, a mainstream school, it's a little bit harder now than it has been for the last couple of years of primary school because obviously it's a lot more organising, um just heavy bags, just homework, there's yeah, loads the, of different the, teachers, The information flow he's he's
1: he's meant to absorb is being ramped up as well, of course.
7: Of course it is. No, he's well able for it. Academically he is unbelievable. And like he does like fifth and sixth year maths here with my partner at home. You know, he, he loves maths. Maths is definitely his thing. Um when he was younger he loved the match attacks, but he was kinda of fixated a little bit on them. Um, you know, he kind of he grew out of that. No, he like they left. The, the boys of them were going into first year, and they got phones this summer. Like they were into me for two years for phones, and they said no, no, no. Finish primary school, you can have phones. And um, they got phones this summer, and I kind of felt that was just to let them have a little bit more freedom. Didn't it. So during the summer, he would have went over to the bars one or two days of a week to meet some of his friends, have a kick around over there. Because he he was he felt um at ease as I did because there was a phone there to contact him. Uh-huh. You know, whereas before that he would have always been um incise or, you know, we would have always and still do things together, um, everything from say around us out in the green here where we are, to the lock and he loved all of that. He loved being involved in all of that. And and I think that he kinda gets that from I love sport, and he sees, as I said, his brother started into the sport a little bit, maybe a year and a half before him, and that was just because, like, I kind of felt sorry for for Marcus because everything was about Dylan, you know, and he was just being dragged around from place to place, and he was missing out on kind of things, you know. Yeah. So then, when when that all started, and he started with, like, as I said, one day came down the stairs and said, "I want to come training." It was like, "Wow, this is unbelievable," you know, and like even, even the people that know him that would have seen the, the progression over the last couple of years, they said, Jesus, you've done you've done fantastic work with him. Like, and I just keep saying to them, look, like I'm one of his dads. Yeah, I fought for things for him, but the experts, they tell you, all right, like I remember going for physio with him, and she'd say, if you have any questions, now ask me. And we were going in there every week. And like, make I'd go in there, and I, I'd have some things written down on the page. And when she'd give me the answer to these things, I, I used to feel so small and stupid. But like she said to me, Thomas, there's people come in here for six months and never ask me a question. She said, you uh, have an interest and you're asking them because the answers she give are so simple and you'd be thinking, why didn't they think of that? Yeah. But they're the experts. They're the ones, like, that's what they're there for. They're there to pick their brains. W- 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 would, it be safe, to...
1: would it be safe to say, Tom, that once you get access uh, to those services, and it must be one of the most noble callings to dedicate your life to creating better outcomes for others, for strangers, mm-hmm. Um, once you get access to those professionals, and once you're in the system, once again through early intervention, which you contend mm. is the key, that these professionals mm. can do the world of good. Um, but if if you don't yeah. get in past the past the threshold, as they say, uh, it's a very cold and lonely place trying to get into the system.
7: Big time, and like it's not only if you get in there, Mick, like you could get in there and you could see someone today, and you mightn't see someone for two years if that's what you wanted. You have to keep hounding them. You have to keep ringing them, emailing them, looking for better. You know, like I, I, I'd hate, I was, I'd hate to think if if we didn't go for the physio, and and she didn't see something in the speech and language. Like Dylan was non-verbal till he was nearly six, mm-hmm. and that was with all of this help. So, like, I would hate to think where he would be today if he wasn't getting these services. I have met parents of kids who didn't get these services and like it, it kind of makes you angry because you're looking at them thinking this this child could be a hundred times better if they had the help when the child was younger like I said about the parent information nights that I used to go to and I used to go up and speak at them after a while because it kind of gave confidence you know you're going and listening to other people's stories and like at the start I used to come over all of thinking Jesus how did how are those people surviving like parents get up and talk about their 10, 11, 12-year-old and they don't know what to do with them because they don't have a diagnosis and the child hasn't been seen by anybody. And they used to be sitting there thinking, Jesus, I am blessed. I am so lucky. And it took me a while to actually stand up and speak at these things, you know, because you listen to all these people's stories and then you go home and you're, you're, you're kind of registering it and you're saying, Jesus, I'm t- so
1: again, lucky. once again, and this is the third or fourth time now speaking to a parent uh once again those who feel like yourself that you're now you've arrived at a better solution by far than you would have had if you'd not been in the system the word luck 100%. the word yeah. luck comes into play
7: and it's not luck Mick. it's don't uh, perseverance like i like they sent me out forms, look you had a person on yesterday about contacting the, the Minister for Children right, so they, they sent me out forms, I, I was handed a form in the boroughs of charity to say to apply for uh, a carer's allowance and when, when the lady handed it to me she said if, if you would have filled this out last year no you would have definitely got it and I looked at her I said what do you mean? She said they're going very strict on us." but I said my son is in here with you, he has a diagnosis, how can they be strict on us?" I was a year and a half fighting for that, right? They were sending me letters and they said, it's clear that your child has a disability, but it it doesn't affect him the way it would affect other children. Now, I'm looking at a four-year-old and a three-year-old, and the three-year-old is way more advanced than the four-year-old. In my house, it was the big fella copying the small fella. And as my mother always says, everything happens for a reason. When, When my partner at the time was pregnant the second time, and when Dylan was only six or seven months, I was thinking, Jesus, what the hell, two kids under the age of one and a bit or whatever, you know? But if Marcus wasn't born, I would hate to think where Dylan would be, because from when he was five and six, he has been copying his younger brother. In most houses, it's the small fella copying the big It's the other way around, yeah. But Uh, in my house, it was the big fella copying the small fella.
1: I'm just conscious of time, Tom. I have to move on. Can I just ask you finally, um, are, are you a proud set of parents? Are you proud mum and dad that you intervened and persevered?
7: Big time. Yeah. Big time. Just one point, right? You were mentioning about the Ombudsman for Children for the, the Minister for Children yesterday. Someone said it in the programme. Mm-hmm. When I got all these forms refused and refused and refused, I went to the Minister for Children, who was an Northside TD at the time. And I went in there and I sat down with my file and I started explaining to this person what was going on. And basically I was told, oh, look, they've made the decision. I can't do anything about it. I said, excuse me. You are here to help my child and every other child in this country. Yeah, but look, they've made the decision. I can't do anything about it. So I picked up my file and I said, that's fine. I'm going to contact Emily O'Reilly, the Ombudswoman for Children at the time. I said, I'm going to contact Emily O'Reilly about this because this is not on. And as I walked out the door, they jumped up. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Mr. Kiley, Mr. Kiley, sit down, sit down, sit down. I said, isn't it a to God that I have to mention the Ombudswoman? This is what people need to do. If they say no, you do not accept no. This is your child. You stand up and fight for your child. And if the person that you're seeing is not going to help you with your child, drop in the Ombudswoman for children or the Ombudsperson for children, whoever it is at the time. Because Emily O'Reilly has since been shifted over to the EU. She was fighting for our kids for years in this country. She was a torn in the government side. And I think it got to a stage where she had to be taken and moved somewhere else. And obviously there's somebody else there now. I don't know who it is. But parents need to stand up and fight. Don't take no for an answer. Well, well said, Tom. Be on the phone be on the phone every day and ring these services. Your child deserves it. Okay. So I'm so glad I brought you I asked you to
1: stay we didn't have much time before the 10 o'clock news but I'm so glad uh, that we asked you to stay and get those points across and well done for all you've achieved and uh, I know luck had an element you were lucky you got into the uh, in, in, you know the, yeah. the initial action of the of, of the physio which opened the doors to get you into the early intervention you needed and best of yeah. luck to Dylan I wish him all the best for us in secondary school. To thanks Tom Thank good you. morning 25 thanks. past Goodbye. 10 now
4: Talk to Neil Prenderville now, 0818 104 106,
1: Cork's Red FM. It's 28 minutes past 10. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville show. This is Mick Mulcahy. I want to talk to Grace O'Sullivan, Ireland South MEP for the Green Party in a moment. But first, because uh, this is a little bit topical and I know Grace was listening with interest uh, to Tom's story there and through the interview, but the Sunday roast could be about to become toast. We may all be having quick toast instead of a roast. One in four home cooks are less likely to prepare a roast due to rising energy costs, according to a Good Food Nation report in the UK. Have a listen to Jonathan Byrne, who has this report. Oh, we can't uh, get Jonathan there at the moment. Seems to have disappeared from the thing. Let's go straight to Grace, then. Uh, There we go. Sorry, I beg your pardon. Uh, Jonathan Byrne has this report. Sunday roast could be about to become toast. One in four home cooks are less likely to prepare a roast due to rising energy costs. That's according to a Good Food Nation report in the UK. Gareth Mullins, executive chef at the Marker Hotel, says there are ways around it. There is huge concern I suppose in households at the moment but look the ethos in our house and even in my professional kitchens is that the more fresh ingredients you can use and batch cooking is also quite clever. One in five are not baking as much as household bills increase. We asked these people in Dublin if they oven is seeing less use
2: yeah we actually do it on saturday
8: it's not a roast every time but we actually do it like dinner every weekend my
2: grandparents they don't they don't do it on the sunday now they do it on the monday because they always forget on the sunday and then my granddad he makes the best stuffing you could ever stick in a chicken.
1: And it's not just homes that are affected. Denise Campbell of the Irish Hotels Federation says hoteliers are struggling across the board.
2: Our food inputs have gone up by 22% and our beverage inputs have gone up by 12%. So it's very, very challenging at the moment for hotels and hospitality businesses.
1: Whether it's oven on or oven off, it's definitely given us some food for thought. And that was uh, Jonathan Byrne with that report. Grace O'Sullivan is the Ireland South MEP for the Green Party. Thanks for holding Grace. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Um Nick let's make,
1: and, yeah, and yes. We have we, yeah, so I much to talk it. about.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh
1: let, let's let's talk first. I know that there, there's a kind of an overlap with your own situation and with Tom. You were listening with interest there.
2: I was. You know, my own daughter is 31 now and she is, she's missing a part of chromosome. So she's moderate to uh, severe intellectual disabilities and, and uh, then mild uh, physical disabilities. But like my heart broke just listening to Tom because I know the fight, I know the struggle and it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have to say... It is, uh, I still feel an area in Ireland uh, that it, it, people with disability and their families are not being supported enough. Um, it is a struggle and you, know, and, you know, it's a lifelong struggle because it's not like, I've often said it to the HSE and, and others, it's not like my daughter is going to get better, you know?
1: Exactly. Has, why, why is it you know, so much easier, so, apparently, in Britain, Grace?
2: Oh, look, it must be, uh, I, I'm not uh, aware of the, the UK situation, but uh, what, all I can speak for is Ireland and as a mother of a, of a daughter with special needs, who locally is in the care of the, the day services of the brothers of charity who are absolutely brilliant and you know and tom uh, you know he said that they they've been very supportive to him i, I really think it's an area where um, we need more resources we need definitely make we need better understanding so when i'm um, representing myself on behalf of my daughter and my other two daughters because the whole family is impacted but when i'm speaking with the hsc and honest, God, I, I genuinely feel at times they just don't get it. That uh, Now, I'm only talking about the people that I deal with, that uh, they cannot empathise with the reality of what we're in our home and this you know like Emo was diagnosed in the Netherlands where she was born at the age of six months so at least we had a diagnosis yeah. but like I, I and Emo's on the autistic spectrum as well but I talk to people all of the time here in the European Parliament people who come over from Ireland but also uh, in, uh, in Ireland in my own environment uh, and just the absolute level of frustration and it is you know it is a daily struggle for anyone in their home with someone with special needs. It's, it's a daily struggle. Okay. And and little things, you'd imagine, Mick, a little thing, like getting carers um, allowance, as Mick was saying, like that should be, it should be st- just a very straightforward process. But, you know, I speak to people and they, they tell me, that you feel like you're begging, you're yeah. groveling, you're on In, in, in his words,
1: they're, they're, they're getting very restricted on it, very tight on it. You know, if you only applied for the last it, year, you would to have not it. not fair. Yeah, that's it's, not fair. it's not fair. Okay, we've it's lots more, fair. lots more to talk about. Very quickly, uh, are you going to be uh, continuing the Sunday roast? Are people afraid to turn on their ovens now for extended periods?
2: Well, look, I'm in a flexitarian family if, when it comes to food, so I have, you have roast um, vegetables. No, yeah, we have uh, three meat eaters uh, and one vegetarian. So, what um, you know, we will be continuing to do our roast veggies. Uh, in the oven but what uh, you know I suppose people have to look if they're going to be doing large roasts uh, of meat in that um, you know I, I suppose how can you um, be efficient in how you use your oven um, and uh, you know like in our own case you know if I'm doing um, vegetables and that you know I'll also do if I can I'll do a bread or you try to, to make the efficiencies one way or another the government has put sports in to try to help people with their bills over the winter this, the, the um, you know support mechanism so hopefully people won't find that, you know, it's something that's important to their family life. You know, the roast one o'clock on a Sunday is a very Irish kind of thing, you know, mm. but um, that people aren't put out in that regard and that they find um, that the sports that are being put in to the, by the government doesn't uh, put them on a toast uh, meal for Sunday um, instead of, of their roast, you know, and for most people that roast Mick, it, it, it's not like it's every day we're having these roasts, it's a one time, a once a week event you That's know?
1: still essentially much so, cheaper uh, to, to provide per head than actually going out for Sunday dinner, if, if that's what you want to uh, do. Well look,
2: Mick uh, I remember growing up, um, you know in a family of ten and uh, the roast was on Sunday and then the minced meat, the minced uh, we had the uh, burgers made from the leftovers of the roast on the Monday, you know. So it's uh, it's also you know it's, like it's making it, trying to get the most out out of your roast as well. And and um, you know, uh, look, it, people are going to have to to um, recognise the constraints within their households and try to make the best. Uh, it's you know, it looks like. Um, kind of it's a dark winter ahead in many senses, not only the darkness of the the daylight hours. Exactly. I'll I'll move along quickly, Grace, if you
1: don't mind. Sorry for interrupting, but um, you you came on to talk about the new um, policy and legislation regarding phone charges. I also want you to to comment on the uh, fisheries policies that are coming out of Europe right now, but it would be remiss of me, uh, your party and its leader having got a bit of a lambasting yesterday on the Uh, programme. Just to revisit this for your own personal opinion. Our Minister for Finance, Pascal Dunah, who stated recently, the biggest threat to our economy is a shortage of electricity. So the bigger picture here uh, is that we seem to be the only coastlined country that doesn't have reserve natural gas facilities. It seems, I can be corrected, that they've been blocked uh, for uh, land-based and also refused for floating. Uh, and this is, this is the major, major problem that will affect our economy. Uh, and it seems that the personal ideologies of your party leader uh, and the policies of the Green Party are, are the main detractor from these uh, reserve facilities being put in place. Could you make a quick comment on that?
2: Um, I, I, firstly, Mick, I didn't hear the programme yesterday, but uh, I mean, look, the Green Party policy for years has been, that, that for years now, I'm talking about 20 years, that we have to push towards. Uh, renewable energies clean energy and um, uh, energy security uh, we have the opportunities we know that we in the last year have put in the, uh, the legislation in ireland to enable um, offshore renewable wind at scale now it's not, so not going to
1: happen in time grace
2: it's, it's it's not and we also have been very pragmatic as party saying that we do recognize that there has to be a fair and a just transition to decarbonize our economy over the next number of years, in commitment in, the, in international and um, the Paris Agreement and to keep the uh, temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius, so we 're not burning. Uh, burning our planet, um, so so the Greens are pragmatic in our approach. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So we will. The most important thing for us is that there is a fairness and that people are supported, and that's what the Greens have been doing in government. That's why the budget, in many regards, uh, this year, for me, when I heard it being rolled out, we had a lot of input into it. There was a lot of of uh, mechanisms in there to make sure that uh, people at home are supported. Through the winter, not only uh, homes, but also uh, businesses, because, you know, make, like we, we need to see our societies developing. We need to see our economies doing well to support jobs, to support communities. So that, that's what the Greens are about. Mm. So we're not, we're not uh, destructive in any sense. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know what was said yesterday. Uh, on the programme, but it certainly isn't the Greens that are trying to do any um, damage. What we're trying to do is wise up. uh, We have a strong vision for how we should be living our lives in a way that is energy secure. Look at the giant mess we're in. Energy security is 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 a
1: noble ambition, and and I'm all for it. Uh, You know, I'm all for the environmental saving of the planet and all of that. Uh, But not by freezing one Irish pensioner at a time over very cold winters. Just a quick synopsis of what was said yesterday. And I put it as a question. If Eamon Ryan is putting his own and your party's policies ahead of our nation's interest, ahead of the huge farmers that are ahead of the huge multinationals that that could face power cuts this winter, not to mention the hospitals, the medical device uh, needs in people's homes and possible rolling cuts in electricity. And I'm not trying to scaremonger. But if if by having no reserve gas facility, and I know you didn't come on to talk about this, if, if by having no gas facility... Is Eamon Ryan, if he's putting his own and his party's policies ahead of the national interest of our economy, is he at least in breach of the standards in public office?
2: That, that is not the position uh, of the Green Party to, um, to you know, to create uh, massive hardship. This absolutely, I don't know where that's coming from. But is, is, so that, is there an agenda to
1: get, you, to get through everything you need to do in this government uh, with, with the chance you, you may not be elected? Is there a fear of that next time around?
2: No, I mean, we, you know, this government is still, you know, should still run for another two and a half or, or three years. Um, and uh, so, I mean, this, the, the, the job of work uh, at the moment is to get us through the winter. And, uh, and I mean, Eamon Ryan, Green Party and every other politician in the country is looking at how we can do that. In a way that's sustainable, but uh, as I said, that's fair. That people aren't going to be in, uh, you know, struggling. And here in the European Parliament, I mean, and European across the European Union, that is absolutely the big talk this week in Strasbourg, in the European Parliament, is to make sure. That, they're, that people will get through the winter, that they, the reserves are there, mm-hmm. that the energy will flow and that energy will flow into Ireland because we recognise that we do have climate commitments, but we also have to get our, our way through the winter through the spring and uh, into next year.
1: Okay, I'm sorry so if, the, if, if you were, if you feel slightly doorstepped because that wasn't really what you no, came out to talk no, about no, and no. of course I'm, I'm cognizant like. in Prague, yeah. uh, our own Taoiseach and all of the uh, leaders of the European countries and our neighbours, uh, including Liz Truss are attending and we'll, that, they'll be talking about this in great detail today but anyway back to something completely different there there is a new legislation about phone chargers and more particularly the insert for phone charges at the moment there are three or four uh and it depends what device you're trying to charge you're fumbling for for leads that are tangled up together what's going to be the future for charging your your tablet your phones your devices
2: one single charger that will be it. And uh, I make, Mick, I don't know what world you're li- living in. Two or three is is nothing. In most households, there's spaghettis of leads all over the house. And it's very frustrating for people when they're trying to charge a device to try to find the right charger port. So what we're moving towards is one single uh, charger device. It will be uh, called a USB Type-C port. It will come into operation um, uh, in autumn 2024, and the reason it's that long is because it has to be transposed into the member states uh, legislation, so in Irish law. Um, it's going to be the one standard device. It'll cover um, um, uh, iPhones and earphones and, uh, you know, the different devices we're using. Um, and the beauty about this new standard ch- charger is that it will... Uh, its speed will be quite fast so it it will be um, offering fast, uh, high quality charging. Um, So this was uh, agreed yesterday, voted on in the European Parliament and there was obviously an overwhelming majority. Now from an environmental perspective it's good because it reduces cables that you know there's, there's something like what were they were saying 11,000 tonnes of e-waste of these chargers go into landfill every year so it'll reduce that. Um, it's brilliant for the consumer because it means just one device but also um, it, it means you know you're not, you having to pay for multiple devices. So look that's that's a good news story. Okay. It fits it- in with the of economy. There there are those who are listening who are
1: are saying, well the only chargers I know, I'll call one the Apple charger and the other one the Samsung charger uh, and the Android phone I have from Huawei has a different charger. Uh, Let's describe this one. Is it the wide spade and not the current um, slotted one like Apple use?
2: Oh look, I'm not sure. I can't tell you what exactly um, uh, the, the shape of the device is. Because, uh, But what I do know is that Apple will be obliged to have, and they're already working towards it, all their devices to fit that standard mechanism. Mm. So Apple won't have the monopoly anymore in terms of um, the chargers for d- their devices. If you get an, an Apple phone, the same standard uh, charger will fit your Apple, your Samsung, your Huawei, whatever uh, different device you're using. So it should be more straightforward. Okay
1: uh that's not to say you're going to have to get your current phone changed it's it's port changed they will still work of course it's just for new manufacturing yes. and new releases
2: that's it exactly so you still will be able to use the old devices but probably as we move forward in time there will be just a one standard device um as old uh, you know old um devices you're using become obsolete obsolete. Yeah. But then those who that become obsolete can be also reused. So there's all different um, charity organizations and, and that that are always asking people when they're finished with the device to please send it to them so it can be repurposed.
1: Okay. So new standard charging ports or portals um will will be uh, in in legislation, have to be it'll be a standard one across all companies and across all devices. That's the that's the that's main right. thrust of the legislation. Now we also that's brought you right. on to talk very quickly about fisheries legislation, if you can.
2: Yes, yeah. So um, look, um, you know, the in, in I know. In Ireland, there's a real crisis um, in the fishing sector and seafood sector, and they're really, um, you know, under enormous pressure, as are other sectors because of the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine and all of that. And um, so, you know, uh, here in the European Union, I'm pushing, I'm I'm pushing, sending letters to Minister McConnell to release about six million uh, extra funding in the European Maritime Fisheries uh, Funds to the fishing sector. Um, uh, Also, um, this uh, new uh, money coming in um, next year, 6 billion. But again, uh, just hoping that um, Ireland uh, and the Irish government will um, engage uh, more directly with the the, uh, fishing sector to give them the sports they need. But for me, here in the European Parliament, uh, it, the most important thing I'm working on is uh, kind of fairness and sustainability in terms of the, the small-scale fisheries, or as we say for farmers, the, the family farm. Same for the, the family fishers. That those people who are delivering fish right onto the market, our local markets, into, onto our plates, that, that, that those fishers receive extra quota uh, extra support more than the large scale that in, in many cases make us very profitable very comfortable and don't need even though they, they they cry out for the need for support i genuinely think we need to also look at the smaller coastal scale fisheries and see how we can help the fishers to give us food security but the, and the fishermen can't afford to, to go to traffic.
1: sea it's, it's it's like rolling the dice with the cost of fuel, which is subvented much heavier in other countries than it is here. Uh, it's, it's, exactly. al- it's almost a gamble. It, it is a gamble to put your boat out to sea. Not, not to mention the bad weather and the health and safety and, and the danger and harm's way yeah. you're putting yourself yeah. into. Yeah. But trying to land yeah. a profitable catch, it's a gamble.
2: Yeah. Well, look, the Minister announced there in the budget um, a, a tie-up scheme, 12, 12 million. But personally, I'd rather... That we see uh, the supports given to fishermen and women to get out in their boat out to sea because that's what they do that's what they know that's what they do best and that's how they can land the catch so that we have you know we have that food available to us in the markets and uh, and that it's not just um, always we're looking for tie-up schemes or whatever I know I, I know I talk to fishers I know Mick, it is is a very difficult life going out into the high seas or into the seas and into storms. But, you know, uh, at the same time, you know, gosh, uh, fishing and the industry. Sorry, Grace. uh, Sorry, Grace.
1: Time is against me. But the last time I spoke to an expert on this, and I hope to speak to him again after the ad break, Patrick Murphy from Southwest Fisheries uh, told us there's money being made available to fishermen by the EU. Around 2 million uh, is in contest here. But fishermen are telling us that Minister Charlie McConlog won't pass it on. He's very slow to pass it on.
2: And I, I, and I am regularly in contact with the Minister to pushing him to release that money. So I absolutely um, agree with Patrick. What, why six
1: months regard. later after I spoke to Patrick, are we still asking him to release money that's been made available?
2: Ask Minister McConlog. Okay. I want him to release it too.
1: Okay fair enough. Uh Grace we covered a lot of ground. We covered the uh, your own overlap with uh, with Thomas we covered the uh, the new charging. Uh, we covered a little bit on the fisheries and I'll get into that in more detail. Uh and of course uh, we covered the the Irish way of sitting down around the Sunday table for a Sunday roast. Or, as Patrick yes. Murphy would probably say, why not have Sunday fish? Um, thanks, yes, Grace O'Sullivan, exactly. Ireland yes, South MEP for the Green Party. Thank you for coming on.
4: Thanks, Text Mike. the Neil Show now Red FM.
1: Seven and a half minutes to 11. Patrick Murphy uh, represents Southwest uh, Fisheries and joins us on the line. Good morning, Patrick.
4: Hi,
6: Victoria.
1: Very good. It must be five or six months since we spoke, and I remember fondly the interviews being one of the most powerful from your side. It was full of sound bites. It was full of reality. It was full of the stark situation that the fishermen are in. Uh, and where are we now, well, six months later? Is Mister well, McConlogue still I, slow to to pass on a few Bob?
6: Worse than slow, Mickey's ignoring us. He's He's after ignoring every single participant in the seafood sector. Every single person that works in the seafood sector met with Minister McConnell, big, small and indifferent, and told him that the crisis that we're facing now is the fuel costs too much to make it viable to go to sea. So, fellas are risking all to go to sea. And we explained this before, Mick. If you don't go to sea, you lose your crew, you lose your boat, the banks come in and take it on. So, France has an advantage in the common market, organisation, right? That they have thirty cents per litre and best to look through them per litre per diesel fishing in the same ground. Spain has twenty five cents. And our minister will tell you and everybody else, ah, but I'm really looking after the fishermen, I'm giving them three hundred and twenty five million. But that's not correct. That mm. comes from a loss of twenty five percent of our fish taken from us, robbed from us is the way I describe it, and given to the UK right? So we haven't enough fish to sustain our industry. So we put in measures with our minister to try and just keep ourselves going. And then this crisis comes up and he's ignoring us. And you know what's really infuriating? You'll probably hear it in my voice. The lack of knowledge from your last speaker who's on the Pesh committee. We have a scenario where one third of the big boats, as she calls them, that are doing well, have to go out of business and be decommissioned and the rights of those people don't get passed on to the next generation. They're gone. So it's, it's, not, it's not like a, a family farm thinking. then? Haven't a clue. And I'm, I'm, I'm not joking, you know. And all that lady has to do is answer the phone or respond to the invites. And we'll sit down with her and meet her. It's my job to know what's going on in the fisheries as it should be hers. And to be honest with you, it explains a lot listening to that interview. I'm in Den Haag Airport now coming back from the Pelagic Fisheries Advisory Council where I sit on and we put together um, advice for the Commission, for the European Parliament and for the likes of Grace and for our member states. And you would not believe the amount of stuff that gets thrown in the bin. It's as if they think we're telling lies, just like I believe our minister. I even asked them. I asked the men straight up. I said, if you think we're telling lies, minister... Come with us, come down to the piers, meet these fishermen as they're tied up to the pier wall and cannot afford it, can't go to sea, can't keep digging the hole to make the situation worse. Fuel has risen again this week up to €1.06 a litre and that's for the big boats. For the small lads inside in the islands it could be one forty, one fifty. Hmm. and these people spend a lot of money on fuel to get out to be safe. Does he think they should have a half a tank going to sea that if something happens, they're stranded outside there and risk even more danger? Like, this is crazy what's happening. And just to say this to the listeners, this money is there, folks. It's there since the last programme that ended in 2020. It's five and a half million that's left over, Mick. It's sitting on the counter. And we've asked them, Minister... Give it to us. Why? Because we've told you the crisis. Now, if you think there's something else more urgent, please tell us. I'm on the Operational Management Committee, the Oversight Committee of this fund. And I don't know where this money, where he says is needed elsewhere. I'd love to know, because if it is, it's another crisis that we haven't identified. It is absolutely madness, Mick, what's going on. And people's lives are being put in danger over this bracket. Like It yeah. is crazy, my men. what's uh, going on. I, I just cannot believe it. And before I go any further, Thanks be to God you give us the, the, the ability to talk about this because we're our sanity is at stake at this stage because we believe nobody's listening to us. It, it is that bad, like, it is okay. crazy what they're doing to our fishermen, wiping them pa- pa- Patrick,
1: the, 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 the programme is particularly busy today and once again we're, we're coming up towards news at 11 o'clock. You're in an airport, would you be able to take a quick call after the other side of the news at 11 and we'll explore
6: these issues will, a little more. I will, more. absolutely. Thank you, absolutely. Thank you, thank you Patrick. I'd delighted to talk to you. Thank, thank you very be. much.
1: That's Patrick Murphy, we'll come back to him after 11 from Southwest Fisheries. Now, have a quick listen to our... Uh, celebrity behind the sofa and see if you can identify it.
5: People regularly come up to me, and I love this, with a, an old copy of one of the 50 dishes cookbooks and sometimes spattered with gravy over there. Uh,
1: the, the it's a well-muffled celebrity today but uh, in just about an hour's time we'll open our lines a €200 Euro voucher to spend with Glentry Furniture Dunmanway in-store and online uh, you can spend that voucher you can check out all of the great goods there across the wide gamut of furniture in www.glentryfurniture.ie and more on that competition after news at 11 which is on the way with Lana O'Connor I'm Rory
0: and I'm Valerie and you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red.
4: That's the Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Frienderville Show.
1: And my thanks to Patrick Murphy for holding. I know he's in an airport uh, travelling home from fisheries meetings. Patrick Murphy of Southwest Fisheries. If anybody, Patrick, you you could wax lyrical for an hour. Uh, probably without even being asked a question, such is your emotion and, and your input into these topics. Um, so where are we? There, there, you, you guys are seen as wealth creators. You're you're providing healthy, protein-enriched food into the, the food chain in Ireland, if you like. We're an island nation. The big line that I took from our last interview, and I think we might have used it in a soundbite or whatever, we are an island nation that will shortly not be able to catch its own fish. Do you remember that?
6: I do. And and, and doesn't that sound crazy? If somebody put that into a novel, you'd say, well, that's pure science fiction. But that's where we're at. Like, look, I'm a little camera now because um, you're right. I was a fisherman. I know what it's like. Like one of my memories, Mick, is standing on the pier and my uncle at three years of age, digging his nails into my neck, wondering will I be back. You know, like that's a massive memory like and we have a government and people in Europe that are paid a lot of money and given the resources to help these fishermen and these families. And anybody thinks that Ireland has big companies running fishing companies from the biggest boat to the small. They're not. We're owned by family run businesses. Some of them have a couple of boats given to their sons and that has been taken away from them. There's going to be no handing on of this industry to the next generations or the generations after that. People have to understand this is a permanent solution, what's happening now. We had over 300 boats in 2006, and that was small enough. We're going to be down to 100. By the end of this year, the way things that are going, there's over 70 applicants in to the decommissioning scheme out of a pool of 180. Like, that's shocking, like. No other country. We have 29% of the water, folks. 29% Twenty nine percent of the waters in Europe, all the fish are in our waters and in the UK is in the North Sea and up the Celtic Sea up six A. You know, these areas are rich in food because we have the nutrients coming up the phytoplankton. We're the best positioned country in the world for fish. And we're telling our own fishermen and our own families, sorry, there's no room for you here. You have to leave the industry to make way for other people. Like when will history show that that was bad and that these people should have been treated better? We're like the people in the Brazilian rainforest. We're being shoved off our own places. Like, people have grandfathers, great-grandfathers, who fished in our waters, who we saw in small boats, put putts with single cinder engines, modified the boats, spent millions. I have a lad that's after investing another four or five million. He's a young lad, and he sees the future for his kids in this This week I have to go back and tell him that there's a zero attack advice on... Skyd Mackerel, which he depends on.
2: But, Mick there's
6: 806,000 tons of this fish in the water, and we can't find one of those tons to give to fishermen, not just ours, but others. Hmm. This is madness, So it's really complicated, but it's frustrating when we have somebody.
1: Patrick, maybe, maybe you could explain this to me. Is. Maybe you could explain this one to me, and I mentioned it before on the but not to you. Uh, I met a former fisherman whose boat had been decommissioned, and he's doing other work, and he showed me on his smartphone. Um, a beam trawler, a Belgian beam trawler that was built in 2022, fishing, yep. I don't know, 10, 15 miles off the old yep. head can sail, okay? Yeah. And yep. Uh, he said, when, I, when I'm at my current work, at the, the work I do, uh, I can see him unloading fish into a Belgian truck, which is heading for yep. Ross Lair
6: and across to Belgium. How can that be allowed and to no, happen when no we chicks. can't do it ourselves? Yeah, no chicks, no, no fishery officers, because we have a uh, delegated act that allows them to do that. So the fish gets weighed in their factories over there and it isn't checked here. The only thing our guys can check is the size of the nets or, or the gear that they're using. But we can't, in Ireland, you see, every month we work through the quotas and we give our fishermen X amount of fish. And this is where complicated. Now I'm going to try and keep it as simple. So when we went to our minister and said, look, after Brexit, we lost all this fish. Give us a measure to help us get through it. So he said, look, we'll, we'll give you money, not for free, We'll give you money if you stop fishing. So if you stop fishing, we'll pay you for that fish, and that fish can go to the other fella, and he can make a living out of it. So we didn't get any free money. Now, here's the kicker. Any boat that got that money, right, that takes the decommissioning scheme,
2: will have to give that money back.
6: What? So he'll have got money. Yeah, I'm not joking. The money that these guys got tied up, that Grace of Sullivan is telling you, oh, the fisherman got 12 million for tying up. This is the spin. Any one of those boats that has to decommission from the money they get from decommissioning, which we've shown is under the value of the boats. They're paying less than what the boats are worth. They've devalued the market, so there's not as much money in them. So they've maximized what they can do. It's it's unbelievable what's happening. This is to Irish people, Irish families that are living along a coastline. We're seeing it being wiped out in small ports. The Irish person... Needs to listen to what's being said here. Okay. You're losing a part of your heritage. It's happening in front of your eyes, and I promise you, it won't stop there. The farmers are next. Patrick, I I, 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 Irish
1: it. bricks and mortar businesses, from small ones, Fred in the shed, to uh, to major employers, have been gr- granted in the budget a forty percent rebate on. Uh, any increase in energy costs uh, from 12 months ago, okay? So they're going to get if, if it's gone up by a grand, they're going to get 400 back a month, up to, up to a limit of 10,000 per month per business. Now th- this might be off the wall thinking, but when you guys go to sea, your electricity is produced by bunkers by, by by diesel fuel, and and you cannot run a boat without electricity. You can't run instrumentation, you can't run navigation, you can't run you know, the, the hauling devices, whatever, uh, from electricity. Do you think you've got a case to say our energy has gone up? Uh, 100 or 200% since last year uh, but you're not giving us any diesel subvention so we'll apply, this is how we create our electricity, our energy to fish
6: uh, and, and you should be entitled to the same grant Yeah we should be but we're not going to get it we're, So we're entitled to the money for the fuels. Spain is getting it, France is getting it There's no question, the minister has said it, the money is there you're entitled to it, you're all struggling but he's not choosing to give it Why not? No. Like, if I was a suspicious person, I'd be saying, well, mm, they want to get rid of boats. So it makes it uh, more attractive to get out rather than stay in and lose money and go out of business or the other penalty points and everything else that are coming down top of you. Like, if somebody gets eight penalty points by doing something wrong, right, he's no longer entitled to grant aid of any sort or nature, right? And if what, would, what 90, would that doing something wrong be?
1: Uh, fishing it's in right. the wrong area, wrong nets?
6: No, I'll tell you how bad it is now. This led left from our area from our port and he went out to the park behind the area where we defended against the Russians right and the minister put in a separate law for us only applying to our vessels that you have to leave port and go fishing there you can fish nowhere else you have to come back in and land so the possibility of cheating or, or, or doing something wrong is minuscule it's, it's virtually impossible unless you stick them up your jumper right So one of these boats went out. Now, his mistake was he was too anxious. So he went out in bad weather. He wanted to get to the ground first and get in and get a premium price for his his fish. But he was so tired, he went to bed at ten o'clock. right? So he was up for over 20 hours. This is the skipper, the owner of the boat. So he had to go to bed for safety reasons, go to sleep. And he made a mistake. He forgot to make an entry into his logbook, right? The next day, the Navy boat was on him and they came on board the boat. He showed them all the fish. He showed them that everything was above board.
2: But they still prosecuting him. He's still getting
6: three penalty points. Now, that's madness. Can you imagine if somebody came into you and they said, Mick, you never turned on the mic there at 5 to 12. There's a law there that says you had the mic on. We're going to penalise you and jeopardise your job of being uh, a presenter on the radio. And, And
1: the cost of enforcing
6: that. Nuts. Richard, we have a scenario now where the Minister is saying, listen, we're going to send the Navy boats out and check and keep an eye on the pipelines. We can't even get crews to go into those boats. Like, the, the marine industry is in a shocking state. We have wind farms going out there. I'm telling you, they're not going to work. I'm involved in the industry myself, in aquaculture for 30 years, and we have to moor lines. These offshore winds, I'm actually going to Scotland to see the technology there, to see for myself, will it work? But we're going to invest billions. It's ten times more expensive to stick a wind farm out to sea than it is on land. And they're saying, well, you know, we need to get more energy. Do what we always did. Upgrade the ones we have. If they're not big enough or strong enough, you have the technology, you have the the pipes ran along the ground. You're not going to do anything different to the environment. Yeah, it's like building a new house on on an old
1: foundation. Yeah, yeah. this came by text, Patrick. Mick, I've heard of trawlers cleaning out our junior fish from our inshore and using that for fish meal. Maybe you could ask Patrick about this.
6: Yeah, absolutely, I'd love to So what happens there Is this is a traditional fishery That I fished in myself For Sprat Sprat live up to Two to three years And they die off So boats that have been Traditionally fishing this When they when they come in abundance When climate change Allows them to come into the bays The lads go in and fish them We are the only organisation In the country When this was raised That sat down We said we have a management plan We want to sit down And go through Different systems To allow this fishery To continue It's going on for 30 years If you have any fears Let's work on it Like any other fishery And do it properly Properly. We were refused. Nobody met us, right? So these boats are out there. Now, I have documentation from being in Europe, from Sweden, right, where these fish went into their waters. And do you know what they did? They're foraging fish. They ate all the larvae and the small eggs of all the other fish. And do you know what happened? They've no cod fishery above there now, and they've no fish, place fishery, because the sprat went in and ate all the fish inside there. And the other side of that is this. Listen, a small boat can make three trips and catch as much fish as a big boat. Now, the problem is that we've been asking for, and the same with Kevin Flannery, an ex-fishery officer who was in charge of the Dingle Aquarium in, in Kerry. The two of us tried to get uh, our minister to listen to us and say, listen, this is a fantastic opportunity. We can create jobs out of this. We can put this into, into uh, food production for human beings directly into the market. See what they're doing in other countries and invest in that and give higher value back for the fish. Okay,
1: fair, fair answer, Patrick. We're kind of going down a rabbit hole here. So let's let's uh, finish up with uh, with the broader problems uh, that are that are facing you as a community, a fishing community. And They're still the same as when I spoke to you six months ago. You still haven't got the money from Charlie McConlogue. You still haven't got the uh, the subsidy on the fuel that would allow you to go out with a certain element of safety and not a gamble. Uh, you're still going out in the most horrendous of conditions to provide food of high value. I imagine, into the food chain. Fish is becoming more scarce. Your fish and chips is going up in price. Uh, and yep. we've, we've an industry that is on its knees.
6: Absolutely, and being destroyed in front of our eyes. And it won't be... You see, it's not like the building. The building was brought down to its dead, but it was allowed to build back up again. There's new apprentices coming in, and there's going to be new buildings, and we're going to build back up the industry. That won't happen with our fishing industry. And your because forecast for five years' away.
1: time? Five years' time, what's it going to look like?
6: I, I, I don't think it'll be there 10 years' time. I I think genuinely, and I'll tell you why, Mick, who'd go into an industry like that that are going to be blamed to be targeted just like that last caller, a fella trying to make a living regardless of where the fish is just because he's a bigger boat. Like, if you didn't know about that, if you went down and looked at him on the horizon, these are inside bays. They're towing around 300 metres wide in a five-mile bay. And then they're said, well, they're sweeping, they're cleaning out the bay. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't ring true, you know?
1: So we you, have, you, you mentioned Dingle Patrick, a buddy of mine in West Kerry, said it's probably the way that Fungi went uh, when he was younger and more sprightly. <laughs> he could outrun the nets, but uh, in in his old age, probably got caught up in one.
6: Well, oh, there was no nets there at the time. There was no boats. We checked that out. And it, okay. see, was there. Was there activity inside the bay? And there wasn't. There's, all, the, like the, there's, there's always conspiracy theories, isn't there? There is a course, look, and, and it's a huge loss for that community down there to have such an asset, and it was an asset, and people enjoyed it and everything else, and yeah. that's what people should be focusing on and remembering. Look, I'll tell you a great story. They have, um, they have a monument put up for fungi. But to see it, you have to get into a boat and go out into the bay. No, that's the Kerry cuteness. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, the,
1: that's the Kerry way to, to make you enjoy yourself.
6: Um, uh. And fair play to them, Mick. You have to, like, this is what keeps rural Ireland alive in ideas like that. And people, you know, get a kick out of it. Just like you brings a smile to your face. Yeah, open your but wallet. We're going to lose part of that, Mick, if we don't protect our fishermen. And if anybody is concerned about this, look at the email. Send Minister McConnell an email and just say please, give the few bob to the leads for God's sake uh, I have plenty of it Just, just to
1: come back to the, on, on the Kerry thing and I have much love for Kerry, it's a fantastic destination with wonderful people, uh, but oh. sometimes the ethos is, open your wallet and repeat after me help yourself <laughs> I, I, I'm glad we have a calmer Patrick Murphy than we had uh, the, the, the vexatious
6: one before 11 o'clock uh, You're coming yeah, home well, from that meeting are you? On the way home? I, I am, yeah. And look, we've we put forward ideas. We'd, we come with solutions, Mick. This isn't about mourning and groaning. I promise you, any, any problem, just like the one about the spread that you'll come to me with, I'll give you a solution, and a credible one. Okay. We're working at it all our lives. We have no choice. It's, it's a fight for survival just to stay going. And if we're given half a chance, I'm telling you, we'll pay back this country in bucket loads. Just okay. give us the opportunity.
1: And, and this program, to be fair, is a friend to those who are fighting for better conditions and we're trying to make Absolutely. a difference. Okay. Patrick Murphy, Southwest Fisheries, safe home and thank you once again for coming on on the Neil Prenderville show, good morning
6: Anytime, thanks Mick Cheers
4: Talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red
1: FM Coming up on 25 minutes past 11 and always good to talk to John Lowe the money doctor, good morning John Good morning Mick now, it's long been contended by some of our listeners that the education system doesn't really provide real-life experience. And I know transition year uh, is aimed in that direction. But how many uh, kids come out of school, secondary school, knowing the basics of life, like how how to correctly wire and safely wire a plug, how to uh, change a tyre on a car, uh, those kind of things. But uh, one of the ones, of course, that you're going to concentrate on is the financial element. How many kids come out of school knowing... The intricacies of budgeting and of uh, banking accounts and overdrafts and that kind of thing.
8: It's not cool, you see, Mick. That's the one of the main problems. And this actually all stemmed, actually, from my own son uh, a few years ago when he was nineteen in UCD. This is a guy who's never, uh, you know, you know, failed an exam in his life. He went to Black Rock College. He, he went to BNL and UCD, did masters in finance in Smurford College, then the Chartered Accountant, very successful corporate finance now. But at nineteen years of age, he says, "Dad, what's an overdraft?" <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I realize is obviously something that's missing and it's, it's not really the fault of the teachers and it's not actually the fault of the students because it, you know finance is a kind of a boring subject and it's like when you, you talk about pensions today people's eyes glaze over and you know what you're talking to them goes in one ear and straight out the other so this in, in some respects is but it is so for me, it was so important that uh, to be able to give a, a book to these people without actually having to force them to read it. Number one, and secondly, not be part of their curriculum, so that it's it's actually uh, a joy to actually uh, you know take this book and refer to it uh, whenever something comes up that that you need to to, to check. Okay, we're talking, of <laughs>
1: course, about Money Doctors Twenty Twenty Two. It's an e-book, and you're rolling it out for free to over 48,000 TY transition year students, uh, once again for free.
8: Absolutely. I mean, again, you know, I did a pilot scheme last September, the year now, that's 2021, where I put 3,000 physical books in South County, Dublin, um, which went extremely well with all the schools and the principals and the TY coordinators and even the students themselves, and even getting some great feedback from parents, uh, because the fact that it it was given for free and there was no compulsion uh, on the part of the student to have to read this but it was given to them to encourage a little bit like being given a fork at the start of the summer where you know you're asked to dig an orchard and at the end of the summer you've dug the whole orchard and now you can reap the bountiful harvest
1: yeah okay would it be fair to say that our second level and third level institutions are gearing people up into the careers some of which they can make a lot of money but that at the, at the end of that system, they may not be able to manage that money or understand enough about, uh, you know, leveraging up for a mortgage and, uh, and that kind of thing. Overdrafts, as, as you mentioned, are they all too revoluted now, all too electronic banking simplicity uh, to, 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 to go into the niceties of, of what you need to do to, you know, to take a loan, to take a mortgage uh, in this country?
8: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of confusion, first of all, in all the the products and the services that are available. And uh, companies like Revolut have actually now, you know, um, kind of gained traction on that because uh, they've kind of stolen the march on their competitors, uh, whereby they've made it nice and simple, you know, you know, transferring money from one to the other directly without going to a third party. You know, if you go into a, a meal and the year you can share it on the spot um and even things like you know um and kind of budgeting that's part of their little system as well. Although what I don't particularly like about Revolut is uh, the cryptocurrency availability and also the stock market availability because that that gets them onto a, a road of greed and you know individualizing stock selection, uh, uh, as you may know, make is a complete mugs game and uh, you know cryptocurrency as well. You know if you have money that you can afford to lose, go ahead. That's that's life lies Currency, it is a complete mugs game. In you know, to try and uh, work out, is this going to be worth money in X number of months, years, or whatever?
1: Okay, then, now, just to explain what cryptocurrencies are, John. Because many people won't well, know, and they may have heard of Bitcoin and things like that.
8: Yeah, there's a number of there's actually hundreds of them, from thousands, Stellar to to Ethereum to or any kind of it's 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 a it's basically a blockchain uh, transactions whereby uh, you're, you're, it's built on confidence. Effectively, the, the, there's nothing behind it. You know, in, you know, as much as 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 um, you know, I know, and I'm in finance. It's for me. It's it's a glorified Ponzi scheme, and the, the, the people who are getting into it now are funding the people who were a a long time ago, but are now making more money because the price is either going up uh, or it's going down. But there's some there's some losers all the way.
1: Of course, but what, what's the difference between somebody holding in a private wallet a cryptocurrency or a stock? Uh, and h- how can that be related to Charles Bonds? Well,
8: I mean, stock market is a different thing altogether in the sense that over the last thirty years, from nineteen ninety one to twenty twenty, the average growth, annual growth in the stock market was, believe it or not, ten point seven two percent. But that's not like you know getting ten stocks and saying, oh yeah, those ten stocks did ten point seven two every year. It's getting hundreds of stocks. You're like if you talk about managed funds, you have generally that seven funds. You know, one to seven. The lower the number, the lower there is. So number seven, you've got the Asian emerging markets, and number six, you've got technology stocks, energy stocks. So you've, you 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 not just got you know two or three energy stocks or technology you've got hundreds in each fund and therefore one uh, technology stock goes down the drain that's okay because you've got hundreds more behind it so it doesn't have that much of an impact on on the actual managed fund mm.
1: okay so- we, we, we're, we're kind of digressing by the way i'm rewatching billions at the moment with two of the best actors in the world uh, paul giamatti and uh, damian lewis it's well worth a watch uh, they throw, well, they throw around millions as if it's confetti. Uh, pure escapism, but, 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 very enjoyable. What, what does your ebook aim? What's the ambition of the ebook uh, in, in its educational? Okay. Okay.
8: there's First of all there's a chapter in it uh, Mick, a um, TY chapter that was actually collaborated with uh, Dr. Rachel Farrell of UCD and a TY coordinator from St. Andrews College, town uh, uh, James Doyle and that that's in itself is worthwhile for the TY students just to download and what we did before this all started was I got a team to get in touch with every single school in Ireland, 729 of them and arranged them to send down a unique code to every school who has a TY class, not every, every secondary school has a TY class and then they get that and they send out a little note to each individual TY student and say here is a code, You use your email and you can get this book for free, it's up to you you can put it on your laptop, on your PC uh, and it's not part of your curriculum um, but it's with the blessing of, uh, you know, the author that yeah. kind of, uh, of message is going through. And uh, with a so, little so bit of reverse
1: th- psychology you, you might be more inclined to to read it if you're not forced to. Exactly, exactly. That was
8: the, the thing. You know, like, we, you know, when, whenever, you know, if, if, if I asked uh, randomly down in, in, in Cork City uh, a number of people on the street, what is the NTMA? You can imagine what their response would be. You know, NTMA is the National treasury management agency, and they're the only government body that looks after all the government funds, including everything that's in on post, which includes prize bonds, includes estate savings. So they ma- they manage all that. But people just have this notion that, well, it's post office bonds, you know. So, and they've never heard of NTMA. And like they're in, in, in a, for the prize bonds, for instance, they're in a joint co- collaboration with Fexco and Kerry uh, to, to manage the prize bonds, which, which by the way, 44 Four billion is in prize bonds. That's how big it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, in the book, uh, and I know you provided tips. The teenagers are often unaware of the pressures that mom and dad might be under to keep the uh, keep all the bills paid. And, yes. and so you have, because this is a book 100% aimed at teenagers anyway, TY students. Uh, you've put to the, the top five things that teenagers can do to help reduce household costs for their parents this winter. I laughed at the first one. Number one, <laughs> take shorter showers. Are you listening I, I,
8: don't, know, I don't know. I whether you have uh, children, Mick, but I mean, I have uh, my, my, that same son, by the way, he's the eldest, I have two daughters as well. He was a devil for taking long showers, like half an hour. anyway you know the standard shower heads use about 9 litres of of water per minute of which 6 litres are heated at a cost of 1 cent per minute so a 10 minute shower could end up costing 70 cents per person per day so even if you were to cut your shower time by 2 minutes that'll knock off 50 euros off your bill over a year that's 200 euros for a family of 4
1: family of 4 200 (laughs) euros okay that's a 4 euro a week saving there or thereabouts take shorter showers number 2 bring your own lunch to school every day
8: yeah I wonder how many had children are going to the local deli or being given money by their parents to you know, go and buy that bottle of water and a sandwich. You know it's it's expensive. when when you tot them all up, on a weekly basis, five days a week, uh, and maybe, you know, 35 weeks of the year. That's a lot of money, whereas you can get the tap water, which is as good as any bottled water. Uh, you can also then, you know, economies do do make sense where you're getting a loaf of bread and you've, you've got it spread over a week. So it, it really does, it, and also to get you into the habit of of doing your own lunch, uh, that's also a good therapeutic exercise for for uh, for students. Of
1: course, we have to recognise that uh, you know joining your friends in the deli is is also a thing of social standing and and mixing and and peer pressure and and that in that if if you're Johnny No Mate sitting in the corner eating your packed <laughs> lunch, it may not be the most.
8: Well, I, I think maybe the, the best thing is to find out from your friends who will do the same, and then you won't feel so bad.
1: Okay. Uh, and, and as the number one, and number one really is, is taking shorter showers is an energy saving. Bringing your own lunch is a is a fiscal saving in the household. But number three was a strange one. I kind I kind of said that this one doesn't kind of sit in. Uh, buy and sell secondhand clothes on apps like Depop or Facebook Marketplace.
8: Yeah, I mean, again, you know, or charity shops, by the way, charity shops, you get some fantastic, you know, how many, um, you know, like those TY students in a couple of years will be going to their Deb's ball and uh, they'll get their parents to absolutely pay a fortune, as I did, um, for for the Deb's dress. Whereas you can go to some of these charity shops and other places uh, and you can pick up these fantastic dresses that are probably never worn or worn once and are every bit as good as a brand new dress. So, you know, I I wouldn't, I think we're gone past the idea of being ashamed or embarrassed to buy these kind of clothes. You know, life is tough at the moment and where you can save money, you know, fire ahead. Go ahead and do it.
1: Okay, number four seems to make a lot more sense. Uh, Don't waste food. Proper food management, cognizance of uh, best before dates, that kind of thing.
8: Yeah, and you know, the, again, the number of households that would buy, you know, the local supermarket stuff—they bring it home, and then a couple of weeks later, they still haven't used it. Now it's out of date, and then they have to chuck it out. A lot of those foods—I mean, you, you're you're wasting foods. Um, I mean, bread, for instance, goes off. I keep my bread, for instance, in, in the fridge. Once I've opened it, I keep it in the fridge, so at least it, it keeps keeps it better. Um, and and things like perishable foods, you know. You need to kind of you, if you have those little raspberries that you put into your your cereal every morning, and if you leave it about four or five days, the mold starts to go on it, and the only thing you can do with that is to chuck it out, Try it out so and buy idea. more, yeah. Buy more, exactly. So it's costly, it's costly. There's about 700 euros worth of food wasted in the average Irish household every year. So this is certainly uh, one way of um,
1: combating this. Okay, number five makes perfect sense to me. Avoid using the tumble dryer and dry your clothes naturally, except we live in Ireland. Oh, absolutely. I mean, tumble dryers are hugely expensive.
8: And, uh, you know, you know, a two-hour cycle would cost almost uh, €3.50 uh, based on average price now, and probably it's even more, actually. Uh, so three cycles per week adds up to 10 50 uh, a week or 546 per year so it does all add up every cent okay. counts I, I, I do remember that one of my da- daughters by the way when uh, she was you know she's not 26 but when she was uh, about 15 she was the last one in the house to come in, into the car to drop to school and uh, as she got in I realized this is like kind of depth of winter and um, that she left the light on her bedroom I said Kerry get into the house and turn your light off because that's really important as well. You're turning the your lights off, plugging out plugs of, of TVs at night, um, and, and switching off immersion, especially when you've got the heating on.
1: Okay. I, I just want to recognize your generosity here, John, before we go, because, uh, and I know your uh, 2023 edition of Money Doctors is due out in December, uh, but as regards to this free ebook to the TY students, you said, This is my gift to tomorrow's leaders and will be an annual gift to future yep. transition year students so there's a total of 687 irish secondary schools are in the process of receiving a unique code for their ty class this will allow the students to download the 2022 ebook and they can do that for free uh, only for the next three days up until october 9th but uh, very big heart you- actually
8: I, I might extend that uh, Mick, because some of the, the codes have gone into spam and i'm getting a couple of emails saying oh, we haven't got it in yeah, yeah, okay. Check this but you, you're so going to repeat this gesture every
1: oh. September, I believe, John.
8: Absolutely. Because actually the next uh, book is actually quite exciting because there's a little mini book in it and it's called uh, Teenagers, You and Your Money. It's 148 page and it's specifically for uh, teenagers and, and particularly TY students. So they're going to get that. That'll be updated as well every year uh, as part of the main book. And so every September that 2023, for instance, 2024 TY class will get that ebook for free and every year thereafter. Okay.
1: So that's the 148 page mini book, Teenagers, You and Your Money. This will also be incorporated into your 18th edition of Money Doctors, the 2023. Uh, edition. That's out by Providence Press and on sale in mid-December. Once again, John Lowe, The Money Doctor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank
4: you very thank you very much, Mick. Thank Cheers. You. The Neil Brendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818 104 106.
1: Don't forget, we still have our entry Furniture Centre competition to do between now and 12 midday. We'll give you one more play of it uh, in a few minutes' time. Uh, first of all, though, we'll uh, take Tony, who's been holding for a while on line one. Hi, Tony.
9: Hi, Mick. You want I to make me, you want to make a comment about me,
1: Hall Martin, is it?
9: Yeah, but I tell you something, Mick. You won't be short a bit of fish going home anyway. <laughs> huh? I'm uh, I know there's something fishy about, though. I, I know. Come here, huh? I, I, I tell you when, I'm going, dear. I don't mate. need I fish. You, I, I, I get to Martin there now, right? I uh, put in there, right, uh, what you call it, into the tax office uh, last uh, Tuesday, right? About a certain thing about tax, right? I'm 75 years right? of so age. I walked 60 years of my life. I, I started working at 15, right? I came out of school early, mm-hmm. right? And I came along then. I asked them a question, right, on Tuesday, right? And this morning, I got a nice little letter from them. to say that I owed them 99 euros. But fair play them, they said, I could pay back, right? Instead of paying back the full amount, I could pay back 47 cents a week for the next four years. I said, by God, so they're very nice. They said, huh? Ah, Someone Someone there'd be a huge cost in administrating that. Yeah, that's what I said, yeah. But I talked about, I phoned them on Tuesday and to morning, and they, like, you know, mostly a day after I got that. I said, that, that person that done that, like, my God, I said, it's something <laughs> I wouldn't be praying for, anyway. Yeah. But uh, Merton there said, sometime, we go on back the other body, set two buddies, but our kid there and uh, chap with the bike, there there for the other fellow Ryan there. Right? Eamon Ryan, yeah. Yeah. He said, Alex, he said, you know, that's it that we we get back and we help the people and that we are plowing along, right? So okay. that, man must be di- that man must be in a different field to me because a simple reason, right? I'm inside in the field and I have the ploughing, and there's nothing coming up. And the point I'm making there that I was reading there last night about the 600 euros that people would be getting, but they're only actually getting five, ten. There's 20 euros have 200 been taken out of it for VAT. In the name of Jesus, can we have a start about? they be talking about giving them one hand, but they're actually taking back 100 euros of it.
1: So so you're getting what? 170 plus VAT, is it? Yeah, they're
9: taking 20 euros out of it per 200. They're taking 90 euros for 600. So instead of getting 600, you're getting 510 euros. For for well, those three payments, you're not getting 600. They're taking 100 back over it for VAT.
1: OK. So, yeah, almost 100, yeah. So if, if you're getting 600, it's inclusive of VAT, uh, and the VAT needs to be taken off. I didn't realise that until you pointed it out there.
9: But you know what I mean? I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, I mean that's not on at all. And then he's talking there about cutting, cutting off the people there uh, during the week. There. That has pay as you go no, he, he he's actually making statement in the door yesterday that he didn't mean it that way. Eh? That man haven't a clue what he's saying. I mean, the thing is dear, short and sweet, I not brought any politics, but I was not the politics going back many years ago, nineteen seventy two. I make it short and sweet, Our about it. My father they passed away eight minutes before midnight in seventy two and my mother went down to the camp well below going don't street in the post office. The next mom to get the cup of Bob, and she was told, she said, I'm sorry, Mrs., but you can't get the pension because your husband died eight minutes before midnight. And it was three It was three years after. I was always fighting about it, fighting this. That time you get nothing. You'd have to go here like a bum that time, right? And you'd have to get the money. There's no bank giving money because who had money like in 72? No one had money then. But I mean, the point I'm making, yeah, like, you they today, and always you get something, but that time, you get nothing. They weren't that bad, like, you know? They haven't got their sums done lately, really Lord. And he's supposed to be, or he was, a school teacher. Yeah, he, know,
1: was Matt, the, you know? he, all he was a maths teacher,
9: teacher I think, was he? Huh? Was he a maths teacher? Well, no, I wouldn't make no disrespect, no, disrespect, no you know, to anybody like that, like, you know what I mean, maths. I mean, to me, me, to me, like when school and what what I love was one and one was two, but it says with may happen. one and one is five or something. You know what I mean?
1: All right, Tony. Uh, you you have put in a very long, long career in the workplace at sixty years, if you if you started at, at at fifteen. How is your retirement?
9: Uh well, Yeah, it's just, tis always, uh, it's uh, always. Uh, I don't mind it, yeah, but uh, just another thing, there now. Uh a person there, right, and they lose the love of their life, which I did eight years ago there, and I was told that I wouldn't get no widows, pension, right, which people are getting top to seven, top to eight a week, but I don't qualify because it's a reason that I'm just kind of bothered. So we're the equal in life, like. Yeah, you're, you know re- I mean? you're
1: reckon- your reckonable income is is just above the threshold, is it?
9: Oh, I mean, honestly, oh, I mean, in the name of Jesus, like, you know what I mean, you lose the love of your life, yeah, you turn around, yes. Didn't money at all. But it's the what you call the lovers, this. Right? That we're all supposed to be equal. And there's one person there, people that I know, they're next to me, they're following me. women. Unfortunately, they're not their wife. They know what they've got like. Yep. And they're getting it. And here, here's Joe so up here. They have to walk in 60 years and he wouldn't get it at all. And there's this. The they want to on in there because the a reason they have to chop their leg. They've got, years, got it. He came at a KD and everything like that. He would never have been a shook Only for the simple reason for that, he turned around there and he turned it back at a, at a bad time like that with, with the Corvus. And there's Brash, you know, taking it over again in January. By Jesus Christ, we're talking about what, what, what one hand is doing with the other hand. Huh? I wouldn't like to be playing uh, chessies with them or glassy alleys. Huh?
1: Tony, thanks, thanks for your call today.
9: That's all I said. You'll come here, you'll look out and say, what's your body? May I mean that? All right?
1: Well, of course. Thanks a million.
9: And Mick, 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 Mick. Up the Rockies, I hope we beat the Bears. Good in the (laughs) one.
1: Good luck, Tony. Uh, There's a real core character. Now, I want to get to some texts because uh, I realize that uh, many hundreds of texts come to the program every day. Each are read, each are valued, uh, but with the constraints of airtime, it's not possible to get to each and every one of them. Uh, Let's try and get through some of the ones for today on Ryanair. Ryanair announcement coming up. I booked a Ryanair flight to go to Birmingham at the end of next month. Three times so far, the flight's been cancelled and changed. Pitiful so they are. On power cuts, with regards to the government saying that we may have rolling blackouts this winter... This has been known since 1980. Yes, 1980. GEC Alstrom, who were responsible for maintenance, installation and design of most of our power stations, told the government in 1980, that's 42 years ago, that we have a 2-3% to power surplus. Did the government listen? No. We've shut down power stations instead of building them. On MTU parking, hi Mick, I'm a student in MTU stroke CIT and I've been commuting to college every day. I can speak for all students when saying the college has not provided us with enough car parking spaces for the volume of people but yet they can build a brand new 22 million euro sports facility. Every day we are faced with a struggle to find a car space and some people are then left to park their car somewhere on the campus that usually doesn't obstruct other vehicles. But yet the college has employed clamping measures on us students, even though we're just trying to park our car and get to our lectures or labs. If you want a space, you'd need to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning to secure it, because by 9 o'clock they're all gone. It's a disgrace that the college is clamping students' cars when it's their fault for not supplying us with enough parking. I can speak for all students on this. I hope this can shed light on the matter, as I feel so enraged by this situation. I know that the college cannot build car spaces overnight. But clamping cars that aren't even causing obstructions is a joke. Uh, when you mention Ukraine uh, refugees, when you mention housing, it's always opening the floodgates on text. We have a lot of them here. Hi, make on the modular homes. Where does the money come from now all of a sudden? And how come these weren't being built all along for the poor Irish and European people on the streets that are dying? Absolutely a joke of a country we live in. Ireland is the best country in the world if you're not Irish. Uh, God help our kids' futures here. Another texter says, do you really believe the Ukrainians will just head home to a pile of rubble when the war is over? When they have everything here for nothing, says Paddy. Wake up, folks. The government doesn't care about the Irish people or the Ukrainian people. They're just virtual signalling to the European masters. A Ukrainian MP, says another texter on TV last evening on the 6pm news, said that Ukrainians coming to Ireland were not aware of the homeless problem here. There are 10,000 homeless people here in Ireland and 3,000 children homeless. And uh, in Ireland, many living in tents and no one will dare talk of their plight. I wonder if there's any country in the world who would accept 10,000 homeless Irish. Another texture says, I totally agree. It's not the Ukrainians' fault. It's the fault of the government. I bet they're doing it because they have to. I bet we owe billions to the EU. How anyone would be comfortable working for the government at this moment is beyond me when they see what's going on and see people getting angry and restless while they have a fantastic salary. How do they sleep at night? Hi Mick, I don't know much of what that woman is saying. I don't think much of what that woman is saying, I beg your pardon. Before we take any more into our country, surely our onus is to our own people. Listening to that man, there my heart breaks for him. And now 60 modular homes. Come on Mick, for God's sake, what about the girl sleeping in her car? Why doesn't she get help? I'm so disgusted with it all. I know a woman here. She has health problems and wait for it. Can't get a medical card. How is that fair? Great show. Uh, that's from uh, Marie uh, from Klan. Uh, every sort is coming into this country under Ukraine and with no checks. The crime rate has been up uh, on the up and up since. No one cares. Uh, the war started in 2014, says that texter. Um uh, and there's many many more Make I work in a leading private tourist attraction all summer we've had Ukrainian people coming with their passports asking for free entry and then going on spending large amounts in the gift shop and cafe I have nothing against them but I do feel they're out for what they can get it must be lovely to have an opinion about another country from a country that has less problems where housing is concerned and let's do one more people are angry they've contributed to Irish society working paying tax in USC and are Irish born waiting for housing for years and now they're building houses for people who've never never done anything for this country. How can that be right? We Irish are being treated so wrongly. It's our money. We should have a say in how it's spent. I'm waiting 11 years for a council house, working and paying high rent, cash in hand to the landlord, and he's dodging the tax man. What a way to live. Shame on this government. There's one more text I want to get to on special needs transport. The problem that man has with taking his special needs kids to school is that there aren't enough taxi drivers doing that type of work now. But that guy would need to take two taxis one going to Charleville and the other to Cork. It's the same with the buses. With mainstream schools, there aren't enough buses or drivers for extra buses to take the overflow from extra school kids because of the free bus travel causing that problem. Now, I want to give some time to our Neil Prennable Show competition this week, which is very kindly uh, given to us by Glentree Furniture Centre, and they are a family-run business in Dunmanway. Uh, If you're in the area, call in. If not... You can check it out on LentryFurniture.ie. Now, this family-run business have a huge selection of products right across the furniture range. Sofas, corner sofas, armchairs, tables and chairs, sideboards, beds, mattresses, slide robes, wardrobes, chests, lamps, pictures, rugs, carpets and flooring. You name it. And some of the best brands as well. Sherborne, Lazy Boy, Stressless, Natural Sleep and many, many more. It's a tough one today, but see if you can spot uh, the... We're not opening the lines just yet. We just played a little bit here. Uh, see if you can spot who is the celebrity behind the Glentree Furniture Centre sofa.
5: People regularly come up to me, and I love this, with a, an old copy of one of the Central dishes cookbooks and sometimes spashes with gravy over the, uh, the, the, the cover half hanging off and say, look, I've had this for years, I love it.
1: That's a difficult one, but okay, let's open the lines then on 0818104106. We're looking for caller number 12. A 200 euro voucher to spend with Lentry Furniture in Dunmanway and entry to the head to head trivia quiz. And the winner's going to take home the lazy boy spectator chair, which is worth a whopping 1,958 euros. Get calling now on 0818104106.
4: Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818-104-106, Red FM.
1: And wrapping up the Neil Prenderville Show for this Thursday morning, let's go to Bernie Keneally from Ballycotton, who is on Line 3. Good morning, Bernie.
2: Oh, good morning, Mick.
1: Oh, God, am I lucky? Uh, well, you're lucky to be caller number 12, but you still have to identify, and we're going to play it for you one more time just to make it sure the uh, celebrity behind the Glen Tree Furniture Centre sofa. Have a listen.
5: People regularly come up to me, and I love this, with a, an old copy of one of the Central Jesus cookbooks and sometimes spashes with gravy over the, uh, the, the, the cover half hanging off and say, look, I've had this for years, I love it.
1: OK, who do you so, think that is? I think that's doing, Alan. You would be. Uh, let me see if you're right or wrong. What do you think? Are you sure?
2: I'm pretty positive. I think I'm in a perfect position because I um I work in Balmerino House. <laughs> <laughs>
5: So what, are working, been, what are the chances?
2: What are the and chances? I've been waiting all morning. I said, "Oh my God, I know this," and I'm a great listener. I'm, and I have been lucky in the past. So I, I'm, oh, I hope fair that's plan. not mean out of me, but I do listen every single morning. When well, I'm you're
1: correct, Amundo, and you're going to get a two hundred euro voucher to spend with Lentry Furniture and Manway. What sort of area of the furniture range would you think you'd spend it on?
0: Um. What would I spend it on? I'm more than likely now would um, maybe pass it on to my son. He's um, in the process. He's bought a house and oh, he's fantastic. going to be doing it up.
2: So he'll
1: put it to good use.
2: He'll put it to good use, or else I think of something myself. I Bernie could...
1: Keneally, well, well done, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, correctly you, you correctly so identified I'd your of of boss.
2: Absolutely, You correctly identified your boss. <laughs> An easy uh, one for you.
1: Thanks, it a million. Was indeed. All thank the best. Thank you very
2: too. much. More
1: from Glentree Furniture Centre tomorrow. My thanks to the show's producers, Seamus. Wieland, Kevin Galvin and Claire O'Connor. More from the Neil Penteville show tomorrow morning after News at 9.
0: For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.